1: My choice. My Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com.
2: Hi, wrestling fans. I'm Wild Bill Anderson. We're here with the National Wrestling Conference, the number one wrestling promotion in the whole sport. And I'd like to bring to you the most insane, outrageous wrestler there is in the sport today. Cactus Jack, come on in.
3: Insane, outrageous, Bill. Don't you think that's being a little bit harsh? Sure, I've hurt some people. Sure, I've ruined some families, left some good wrestlers, badly handing out change in penny arcades. But that's only telling half the story, Bill. You see, Cactus Jack happens to be a sensitive man, a man with a dream, and now that I'm in the National Wrestling Conference, I feel secure enough in my sensitivity to share my dream with everyone out there. You see, I have this image in my head that one day, Every surgeon in Nevada will know my name! Then one day, Cactus Jack will be awarded frequent flyer miles for every operation on my twisted, sickening body. A day when the doors open up, the stretcher comes in and they say, How are you doing, Cactus? What is it today? And I say, It's my pancreas, Dr. Green. Bang bang! But let's get back to the other Cactus Jack. The Cactus Jack with no heart! No feeling and no concern for what he does to other human bodies. The kind of Cactus Jack who will take Mr. Hughes, put him out of the sport, take Brother Virgil, put him out of the sport, and take that sick madman Sabu, destroy him, and recapture my place in professional wrestling as Dr. Jack Kevorkian's favorite wrestler.
4: Bang, bang! Let me ask you all a question. To our black listeners out there, Especially the aspiring and current wrestlers. I'm an indie promoter. How much would I have to pay you so you would take part in a match and let someone dress up in a KKK outfit and beat the fuck out of you? To our white listeners out there, especially to the aspiring and current wrestlers. I'm an indie promoter. How much would I have to pay you so you would put on the KKK outfit? And beat the fuck out of a black wrestler in the ring. Oh, and by the way, you have to undress your outfit during the moment so everybody can see who you are. I don't think too many people would tell me any dollar figure. And it's not beyond politically correct. No, it's just something you wouldn't do. And yes, the climate as far as KKK and racism, has decreased dramatically over the years. Sure, we know about that Charleston shit. It was really fucked up. But, you know, sometimes a bad thing could turn into a very good thing. And unfortunately, sometimes people will take a bad thing and keep, you know, throwing salt on that wound and salt on that wound and salt on that wound for their own gain. Yeah, politics. But it amazes me in preparing for this week's episode of This Week in Wrestling History, season two, episode 15. And this week we covered a period of April 9th through April 15th. But in doing my research, yeah, you know, I heard about this in 1995. And by the way, this racism stuff that I'm talking about has nothing to do with Cactus Jack. The promotion, yes. And yeah, we're gonna start off a little bit with some 1995 and then we'll get into the regular episode. I just figured I'd throw this dart out there right away. But I heard about it in 95. Just thought it was tasteless, nothing else. Nobody was in an uproar. And yes, racism angles in wrestling have existed for generations. Not too often, you would go to the point of actually putting on KKK outfits in wrestling. And this week in 95... We had The Undertaker show up in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and he had battled New Jack and the Gangsters. We'll get into those highlights a little bit later and New Jack was really playing hardcore on the emotions of the south and, you know, just really really not pushing the race card but really, you know, pushing that racial element to his success and you know, you actually dissect New Jack in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I mean, actually bringing out Watermelon. He would win matches with a two count instead of a three. You know, Bundy five, New Jack two. You know, you follow the news today and you hear a lot of Democratic presidential wannabes teasing reparations you know, over black people to try to get additional black votes. You know, this might have been a form of reparation for New Jack because of all the bullshit that he went through with racism and his ancestors. So he was allowed to win with a two count. So around this time, we have a wrestling promotion form called the NWC, the National Wrestling Conference. Started in late 94 and uh, higher end production value, not bad production. Brought in a lot of uh, bigger names on the indie circuit at that time. Those were in between jobs. In fact, their biggest land was this wrestler. You know, they say there's eight wonders of the world. Well, the
2: ninth wonder of the world is just entered the NWC. He's a man that knows no bones. He's the man that's known as Mr. Intensity. He's the man known simply as Warrior.
1: Mr. Billy Anderson, one of the true warriors of all time. We're no stranger, can Warrior. Can I have the forum, Mr. Billy Anderson? That's all yours. Please. You're... All those Warriors out there that have been asking for the last two and a half years, what happened to the Ultimate Warrior? What happened to the Warrior? What happened? Why'd he leave? All those places that he was, and where's he gonna be again? Wherever I may be, you can believe me. There's a message in the passion I have for answering challenges, and if there are those with familiar names, Honky Tonk Man, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, and those others that are here grooming themselves to become superstars in whatever federation, whatever group or organization they choose. I'm here to seek and raise them to the level they can come to, or I'm here to take the familiar ones back down to the dungeon where the warriors have been hanging and banging for the last two and a half years. Forget me not. The Warrior stands all alone. There are those that will imitate the Warrior. There are those that will try and duplicate what I possess. But there is no one who feels the clawing of those Warriors in his back, in the meat, in the spine,
4: like I do. Ultimate Warrior would cut a whole shitload of promos for them, and he would end up just having one match against the Honky Tonk Man, and that was it. Yeah, You know, and you actually, I think they did 20 events in their history. And you actually look at the cards. Some of them are not bad at all. In fact, I know there's some websites out there that are selling like a 15 DVD set of this entire promotion, including something I'm going to share with you momentarily. And even the Cactus Jack promo, you know, we always remember Cactus Jack in ECW in 1995, you know, arguably, and I don't. You know, it's not even an argument. I think 1995 was the greatest year for Cactus Jack in ECW, between his feud with Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer, November to Remember. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. And then he would leave. You know, shortly after that, to go to WWF as Mankind. But in between of doing ECW and you know, just really killing it. He was doing indie work in Japan, and NWC was a, uh, a stopping point for Cactus, entertaining as fuck. So now you got the Ultimate Warrior, you got Cactus, RVD was there. I mean, just the cards up and down were phenomenal. In fact, I'll give you an example. Here is the card that took place this week in history for that promotion in Las Vegas, uh Bobby Bradley over Rob Van Dam, Kerry Love over the Volcano Kid, Johnny Payne versus the Navajo Kid, Little Haystacks versus Mr. Hughes, Cincinnati Red versus Jim N'Anvil Nighthart, David Hogg and Cowboy Lang versus Jesse Hernandez and Little Tokyo. It's midget match. Rob Van Dam and Bobby Bradley versus the Wild Renegade and Raging Raven. Larry Power and David Power versus The Kiss and Charisma. Junkyard Dog versus Mr. Hughes. Jim N'Anvil Nightheart versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So, you know, not like a pay-per-view quality event, but you know what? You know, it's not a bad event. You got some big names and you know, notice no warrior, because warrior just cut promos and promos and pro- and only worked one match. The entire deal one match. So getting back to why I opened up with this more than anything, so we have this promotion and yes, we had racism really prevalent in wrestling in the mid 90s, also on TV, you know, who could forget? And I know this is a few years before, but Morton Downey Jr. bringing KKK people on one of the episodes. You had other TV shows that would really put KKK and Black sitting next to each other because they would have confrontation, draw ratings, bigger money, advertising revenue. It was all to try to make money, to be controversial. So now we go back to NWC and they had a wrestler in a promotion called Thug. Now, how uh, I looked at the dirt sheets from back then. I looked at vintage newspapers from the Nevada area and California around that region. I looked at uh, old websites. You know, there really weren't websites in 95. I mean, the internet was around, but it was pretty much in its infancy. Very, very little attention to this. Um, just no outrage. I mean, very, very little. But in my opinion, this is what killed the NWC promotion. They decided to have this wrestler come out by the name of Thug. And he's wearing KKK outfit. And one night, they decided to have a match between Thug and Virgil. And i let you hear it for yourself. Glad to have you here.
2: You know, fans, the big fan favorite here Virgil, he's stepping into the crowd there, Doc Here we go, ready to rock and roll on NWC Slamming once again The crowd pumped up Juice Virgil, a big crowd favorite, they're dancing in the aisles here as Virgil prepares for his match a grudge match against the Thug Well, you know, there's a sign that says the Thug something there, Doc I'm not sure exactly what that says I really, oh, something derogatory I see, the crowd on their Feet, and we are ready to go for this grudge match between Virgil the Thug. Speaking of which, here he comes down the aisle right now and it looks like the Thug has got some company today. What, what is that, is that a bodyguard? Like got, looks like he's got a henchman or something. Boy, oh boy, our director of security there, Joe LeBron. This guy's surrounded by security, Doc. Boy, the crowd can't stand this guy. I don't, what is this anyway? I can't believe it. We're about ready to go as the Thug makes his way towards the ring area, and he has an escort. I don't like the looks of that at all. You're Dr. T.C. Martin, Big Al, and Big Al, you got a special guest with you, don't you? Yeah, Jordan is at the table, Doc. None other than the world famous Buffalo, Jim Buffalo, what's going down, buddy? Looks like it's gonna be a good match here, brother. Looks like it's gonna be a good match. All right, Buffalo Jim in the house, sitting uh, in with us here on NWC Slamming, And the Thug stepping up into the ring against Virgil, right here on NWC Slamming. These two don't like each other. Oh my God, you don't know what to expect when the Thug steps into the ring and he is stepping in there slowly. Oh my God, Big what is that? Is well, bedtime bedtime sheets, bedtime you know, for Bonzo? I don't know if it's bedtime for Bonzo, Doc, if this guy's got out of bed, you know, when he gets out of bed in the morning, Doc, you know he spits in the mirror at himself, now he's in with the crowd favorite, the guy that, the crowd just takes for this guy like crazy, Virgil. I don't like the looks of this at all, Virgil, mesmerized, he knows what he's getting in for when he's signed this match, Virgil the thug is staring out. and Virgil's going away, the bell sounds, and- it is Virgil and the thug. And here comes the handshake. No, it's not the thug. It's Jim D'Amvillator. I can't believe what, what I just see, Doc. That's Jim D'Amvillator. That isn't even a thug. I don't need that. What's going here They've taken over on Virgil. They're beating up to a pop. Wait a minute. If that's not the thug, this thug, thug was scheduled for this match. Is that the thug? I have no idea what that is underneath. Buffalo Jim, what do you think of all this? I don't know who it is, brother, but they're working on Virgil real good. They're working on Virgil real good. All of a sudden, it's a two-on-one situation. This match is supposed to feature Virgil against the thug. I don't know what happened to Jim- See <laughs> you. Taken over immediately here as Virgil's getting waylaid by not one man, but by two. Jim Anvil Neidhart, What are you doing here? You're not on the card. You're not supposed to be anywhere to be found. And here you are, right lying over the big, top I rope. I can't believe what's going on here. Virgil gets dropped right over the top rope, and now that they're grabbing the 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 sheet or some bedding, and the bell is already rung. This match is already I, over. This match never got started, Doc. I can't believe it. It's two against one. The bell rang. This is supposed to be the thug. For versus Virgil, all of a sudden, you've got that anvil in there, and who knows who this guy is under the under seat. I have no idea. They are taking Virgil and choking him right at, David Hogg has already called for the bell. He's stepping right in the middle. Where's the security and at night. And down
5: goes David Hogg.
2: Unbelievable, the referee takes a powder. Where's security? You better get in the ring. Virgil's gonna get hurt. I don't understand this at all. The thug is supposed to be facing Virgil. Jimmy anvil, Nyar comes in. The thug. He can't do his own dirty work. He can't show up to Russell. He was suspended for that before, Big Al. You know, once again, Thug, you're on thin ice, man, with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, They're not going to stand for this. This is insane. And who knows? Once again, who's on it out The <laughs> as the anvil is just taken over. He's got a henchman alongside with him. David Hogg lost control of this match and now Virgil right over the top. Oh my god, Buffalo Jim, what do you make of this? Whenever you got this thug involved, you got controversy. Oh, no question about that, Buffalo. I can't believe this has a bit of man. Here comes Doc. Jesse Hernandez. They try to restore some order and they've got Virgil right on the top. Oh my God. They're choking it, big Al. They're I can't believe what him. I'm seeing here. Virgil's, Virgil's being choked. Virgil's being choked down here, Doc. You better get some help in here for this guy. He's in deep trouble. And now the anvil's out there pounding and waylaying at him. Where is the security around here? You've got to get this taken care of. And now he's biting away the forehead of Virgil. Virgil unconscious. No doubt about it. David Hogg, he has been tossed around. Here comes our security force. They're taking the anvil away. Back to the locker room. He is on a rampage. I've never seen the anvil like this. I can't believe the anvil's gone berserk, Doc. He had to be put up to this by of thug. I can't believe what I've seen so far. This is unbelievable Pandemonium here again in the NWC To recap once again Virgil signed on to face the thug the thug Everyone including me thought that was him coming down the aisle to his music And then when they got in the ring all of a sudden it was two on one and then the the sheet came off It was Jim the anvil my heart coming in totally unannounced and a two-on-one job by these by Jim Neville Neihard, and whoever this is maybe it was the thug. I have no idea, but Virgil is down and out unbelievable action here TC. You know the, you know they, they Pearl Harbor Virgil the guy I jumps in the ring. See. I can't believe what's going on the paramedics have got to come over and help this guy out. David Hogg is looking at Virgil. He's choked out. He's got to be unconscious there on the floor. I can't believe what's going on Buffalo Jim. Can you explain what is going on here in the NWC? This is just total pandemonium total chaos right from the early bell I can't believe I I've dealt with the thug before and whenever you deal with the thug you can have these kind of problems absolutely correct and right now Virgil Down out, here come the paramedics. Real serious look here, Big Al. This this does not look good. They're gonna bring over the stretcher. They're gonna check out Virgil. Pearl Harbor two on one. He is unconscious. And meanwhile, the Anvil has been escorted out of the building altogether. This is great protection doc. I wouldn't believe if he was escorted out of building did you see the maniable look on his kisser when the security guards took him out? I couldn't believe that Jim the Anvil Nightheart is gonna even think about aligning himself with the thug.
4: Now look, before anybody thinks they're gonna put on their website, you know, and just try to you know, annoy people or try to get attention because Jim Neville Nighthall was recently put in a WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, WWE Hall of Fame, and wore KKK stuff. And blah, 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 blah. Look, I'm sure Jim Knighthard over the years have, has done interviews and absolutely regretted doing this segment. So, And I'm not justifying it. I'm not defending it. It is disgusting. But you look at that and you're saying to yourself, what promoter in their right mind would go to that point You know, you want to do racism in wrestling with a positive conclusion. Look, very recently, Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship, there was a lot of little racial overtones being teased online, even though nobody in the WWE, including the wrestlers themselves, would come right out and say it. But they would give you little cryptic messages here and there, and they'd let the fans run with that. Here you got a promoter that actually has the mentality. Oh, I get it. All right, let's do this. Yeah, this will this will get some big time attention. And the funny thing is, is, if you actually look at all the results of their history, Virgil was actually a big part of that promotion. So you know, he, as much as you may want to criticize Jimmy Anvil Nighthart for doing it at that time and deservingly so, you got to say to yourself too, Virgil, how could you be part of that? You know, especially when, you know, the the, the ultimate revenge for doing this was in the attendance, in the sales. Because here's a little tidbit. Before they did this match, they were averaging about a 1,000 fans a show, sometimes 1,400, sometimes 7,800. But after that match, they ended up canceling two of their next three events. Then they went on a six-month hiatus. And when they returned... The average attendance was only three to four hundred fans. That promotion, it would have been really interesting to see if it would have taken off in some way, shape, or capacity. They obviously had a big time money mark behind it. They had TV. They were bringing in, you know, some decent names. Yeah, the card that I mentioned wasn't the uh, the absolute best, but you know, for for promotions and to bring in the warrior. Yeah, you know, that was a pretty big deal. So yeah, I just figured I'd share it with you, you know, especially since you know the cactus promo I wanted to use as an intro. But anyway, let's start this off traditionally, right? This week in 1964, Buddy Rogers was awarded the uh World Heavyweight Championship. He became the first WWF champion. You know, they they teased, you know, a story that he had won it in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, and that actually was not true. So there you go. 1989, Jared King Lawler over Kerry Von Erich to win the world-class unified World Heavyweight title. Lawler would be the last man to hold it because less than two weeks later, championship was unified with the AWA title, and that would become the United States Wrestling Association's Unified World Heavyweight Championship. You know, USWA, you know, definitely awesome promotion while it lasted. You know, some of these promotions from the 80s and 90s, these smaller ones, really had promise. The problem is, is they got eaten up by the machine. There was no other way to put it. 1990, All Japan and the WWF co-promote an event in Tokyo. And it was the U.S.-Japan Wrestling Summit. About 50,000 people attended. And check out this card. Doug Furness, and keep in mind, a lot of these wrestlers did wrestle in the WWF, but they were not wrestling for the WWF at that time. So you just picture this event. This, this looks fabulous on paper. Doug Furness, Dan Crawford, and Joe Malenko over Samson Fayuki, Toshiaki Kawada, and Tatsumi Kit- Kitihara. Jushin Tan the Lager over Akiro Nagami. Tito Santana and Jimmy Snooker over Masafuchi and Kenta Kobashi. Tiger Mask and Bret the Hitman Hart wrestled to a 20-minute time limit draw. The Great Kabuki over Greg the Hammer Valentine. Jake the Snake Roberts over The Big Boss Man. Shinya Hashimoto and Masa Saito over Masa Chono and Ricky Choshu to retain the IWGP tag titles. You had Haku and Jumbo Tsuruta over Rick Martella, Mr. Perfect, Genichiro Tenryu over the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Ultimate Warrior over the Million Dollar Man to retain the WWF title, Andre the Giant and the Giant Baba defeated Demolition, and in the main event, Hulk Hogan defeated Stan Hansen. That sounds like a kick-ass card, man. I would love to see that card with some pretty good you know, English commentary on it. Man, that would fucking be sweet. 1991 i wonder how many of you know that this man for a very short period of time wrestled in wcw the audio quality is a little shangada, but it's it's decent ladies
5: and gentlemen the tag team of Little for one fall introducing coach team number one they weigh in a combined weight of 461 pounds first one national tennessee Tennessee, Greg Sawyer, and from New York City,
2: jumping in, Mags. All right, the team of Ricky Morton, as we take a look at Mags and Sawyer, the team of Ricky Morton and Owen Hart set to go, and we have some comments from a very courageous, one of my favorite, Flying Brian, Brian. Don't you dare change that dial, because I got two high, young, exciting friends of mine getting ready to compete, Ricky Morton and Owen Hart. We all know how tough and great a competitor Ricky Morton is. Let me tell you something about Owen Hart. He loves to fly just like I do. Look out. This is going to be exciting. Flying Brian, of course, talking about his two good friends. Owen Hart, who's in the ring. And, of course, Ricky Morton, the very agile, very athletic Owen Hart. Over the top on Joey Max. Boy, he got that hip toss, didn't he? Standing drop kick. And an arm drag. But then there's Joey Max is a, is a quick little wrestler, but Owen Hart, it's almost like he bumped into Fred McMurray and had to put some of that flubber on the bottom of his boot because I mean, the man just has springs in there. Saw him last week. They didn't know if he was a bird or a plane. Takes him over the arm now. And every move, you can tell, Larry, that he executes with perfection. Yeah, well he's another second generation wrestler like we talked about. Dustin Rhodes, Brad Armstrong here, Rowan Hart. Again, time will tell which one of these second generation wrestlers, you know, winds up a legend in ten years. Into the ropes. Morton. Too quick for Joy Mags that time. Oh, Rick Morton. He's a smoothie Mexican arm drag there. Boom, another one. Put that hold on. He's a smooth character. Speaking of smooth characters, I think our hat's. Go off to Flying Brian. Tremendous match last week right here on Channel 9. And he, Lion Brian, stayed right in there with Barry Wyndham. The well, one with I tell you, they should call him Flying Brian, the Lionhearted, because as hurt as he was and as bad as Barry Wyndham, you know, hurt
1: the man, he didn't give up. You've got to give the guy credit. He did not give up. Well, that's stupid right,
2: maybe. No, it's he didn't stupid. give up. Courageous. courageous. Oh, and Hart over the top. Ricky Morton slides out. Their tag had been made. And Hart was waiting on it. Tremendous dropkick. Notice how close he stands to his opponents when giving the drop kick, but still gets it up high on the body. Yeah, very agile man. I mean, when he when he leaps up, his knees go right to his chest, boom. And the closer you are when you get that explosion, because your legs are the strongest muscles of your body. and you hit them so close, they're gone. Forearm uppercut that time, and now Ricky Morton back in for the tag. First time Owen Hart and Morton have tagged together. Morton, of course, remember the World Six-Man Champs, and Owen Hart. And only his second week here on WCW Pro, looking great. Well, it could be a good combination, because, you know, Ricky Morton here has been a tag team, you know, for years and years. Knows all the ins and outs. Oh, and that's he's all got hard. a high-flying partner. Out of the
5: blue! The
2: winners of the match, Ricky Morton and Owen Hart! Ricky, Ricky Morton and Owen Hart, once again. Here you go, Larry. Well, take a peek at Owen Hart here. You know, he went down, but look at the nip up Big... Super agile. Up in the air. I tell you, he's got plumberized feet. Love the man blocking in the hip toss. Put that neck up, back down on the feet again. He's got the leverage. You, fascinating man to watch. Of course, Ricky Morton here, here, smooth individual set him up. And there goes Owen Hart flying through the air. A little bit too far, but he still hooked that leg and got the pin.
4: Now, did Owen Hart stand out in WCW 91? No. You know, they would mention that he was uh, a member of the Hart family and they would always call him more like a second generation wrestler. I don't even remember WCW ever acknowledging that he was Bret Hart's brother, but obviously, (laughs) you know, you knew that's what it was, just process of elimination. Owen Hart would be there for a very short period of time. But it was fun to go back in a little nostalgia, not only seeing them wrestle in WCW, but actually getting a win or two. Also, this week, WWF taped their 29th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event from Omaha. This would be the last Saturday Night's Main Event at that time before the move to Fox. So match results from that night, the Ultimate Warrior over Sgt. Slaughter by DQ. Uh, This would have uh, interference by Hulk Hogan, Colonel Mustafa, General Adnan, Hulk Hogan making a save. And, you know, this would lead up to, you know, the storylines. Ultimately, that would go into SummerSlam and soon WrestleMania. The tag champs, the Nasty Boys over the Bushwhackers. Ted DiBiase with Sensational Sherry and Bret Hart fought to a double countout. The The Mountie defeated Tito Santana. And uh, he used the uh, shock stick with the referee not looking. And the main event, we had, well, some people may call the Ultimate Warrior match the main event, but to me, this was the main event. Mr. Perfect won a 20-man over-the-top battle royal, Participants in the match, The Big Boss Man, The Barbarian, Greg Hammer valentine British Bulldog, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Hercules, Earthquake, Haku, Hulk Hogan, Kato, Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels, Jake The Snake Roberts, Paul Roma, Tanaka, not Tatanka, Tanaka, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Tugboat, The Warlord, and Kerry Von Eric And wrapping up 1991, this week in history, and I always wanted to see this match. I know there's footage of it. I can't find it. It was a match between Johnny Ace and Cactus Jack. And uh, he did some type of a moonsault onto Cactus Jack to try to pin him. And unfortunately, landed the wrong way and broke his elbow. 1992, the promos teasing the debut of Nails in the WWF started to intensify. And you see the storyline at this time in 92 is that Nails was still in prison. But he was going to be getting out shortly, and as soon as he got out, he was going to destroy the big boss man. And we will cover Nails' debut very, very shortly. So there you go. Also in 92, and this sucks, man, because at that time, Ultimate Warrior was white hot. I mean, Ultimate Warrior, to be honest with you, I mean, the guy was always big-time player. I, I know his WCW career was considered a disaster. I liked it. I liked it. His debut, even though it went long and it kind of fucked up the whole show's format, I loved it. I loved it. That pop was incredible. But at this time in 92, we were starting to get teased of the next big feud, and it was going to be Ultimate Warrior versus Sid Justice. And if you remember what transpired previously with the two, you know, we figured okay, this is going to lead up to SummerSlam 1992. So, this week at that time, we get these two innocent little promos on TV hyping up their upcoming matches.
1: See, I want to start at the beginning. And it all began at SummerSlam. My first day in the World Wrestling Federation. And it seemed to be your last warrior. I asked you the question what was it? Was you scared? Was you scared that you would have to one day face it, Justice 101? Was you scared that all these nightmares would once become a reality? And the reality is that you're messing with the wrong person, warrior. Now, I'm going to ask you one time, don't mess with the man that rules the world. If it only had to do with one man, man against man, then the story you tell, Sid Justice, may have some validity. But when you speak of where I've been and where I have come from, you speak not of one. I speak not of one. I speak of many that have been hungry since summer slam i speak sid justice of those that do unto whoever challenges the powers that may be i speak sid justice of those that do not claim to rule i speak sid justice not of those that have never ruled I speak Sid Justice of the Ultimate Warrior!
4: The Ultimate Warrior back with a vengeance. Now, at this time, yours truly is working for Ben's best, going to the garden. Recently, ended up meeting Georgie Ann, sweet woman, having a great time, and thinking, oh man, this is gonna be fucking awesome. Sid Vicious and the Ultimate Warrior gonna start feuding. They had two matches. And I I think one of them might have been in the Boston Garden. I can't find footage of either of these two matches. And the reason why I want to see the footage more than anything is what Sid Vicious described in one of his recent interviews as to why he left WWF. Because after these two matches, he was gone. He left. And I'll let you hear it in Sid's own words. It's only a minute long, but he pretty much comes straight to the point and tells us why he left right at the beginning of this next big feud.
6: After Warrior comes back, that's when Vince says, we're gonna make you the biggest heel this business has ever seen. I've got an idea what being a heel is, okay? So the very first night was in Baltimore. I was working with the Warrior. and he, This was the, the things that the agent said, clothesline, clothesline. No, the Warrior was telling me this. Clothesline, get up, shake the ropes, and clothesline, clothesline. I said, no, Jim, this is how it's gonna work. You'll come in, I'll stop you duck my clothesline, you give me one, and then I'll powder. You know what I mean? So then the finish was I was the power bomb kick, he was going to kick out, we was going to go into a DQ or something. So I told the agents right then, I said, now if he kicks out of this tonight, you better have no, I know they had phones. I said you better get in touch with Vince. Cause if we get the same finish tomorrow night, tomorrow night will be my last night. You know, just that clear. And the next night was the Boston Gardens. So they came back to me. I said, guys, I told you clearly yesterday, if this was the same finish, I'm going to do this match and this finish tonight, but don't call me tomorrow because you're not going to get me. And that's what happened.
4: Talk about a disappointment, man. We wanted to see that so bad, and it ended up not happening. 1993, WCW makes their well so-called Madison Square Garden debut. They debuted at the Paramount Theater. And if you don't know the, you know how the Paramount Theater was set up with Madison Square Garden, do a little wiki search. You could read about it. But, you know, MSG was home of the WWF, and uh, it was very, very difficult for WCW to get any type of event anywhere near Madison Square Garden. Yes, they'd get Long Island. Yes, they'd get Jersey. But they wanted, you know, to do an event in the city. And interesting enough, and believe it or not, the audio is online. The quality is shit And to be honest with you I'm a fan of Howard Stern I had to turn it off Ravishing Rick Rude Who is going to be wrestling on this card In New York City for WCW Appeared on Howard Stern And was on for quite some time And Ravishing Rick Rude When he talked in his interview It was fun You You know how Howard Stern is He brings up steroids He brings up this The problem with this interview is that It was like Howard Stern was being interviewed. This motherfucker just hogged the mic, would not shut up, ravishing Rick Rude, didn't get too many opportunities to really talk. And what a disappointment. But if you want to hear it, go on YouTube, just type in Howard Stern, Rick Rude, and you could hear it for yourself. I think it's in three parts. But the match results from that night, Johnny B. Bad over Tex Slasinger, Max Payne over Steven Regal, Chris Benoit and Ron Simmons fought to a double countout. Van Hammer over Vinny Vegas. The Hollywood Blondes, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, over Mark Bagwell and Too Cold Scorpio, so they retain the NWA WCW tag titles. Ravishing Rick Root over Cactus Jack. Dustin Rhodes defeated Paul Orndorff to retain the United States title. Barry Windham over Ricky Steamboat to retain the NWA World Heavyweight title. Sting over Big Van Vader by DQ. So the Heavyweight Championship did not change hands. Ric Flair was supposed to be there and not in to wrestle, but actually cut a promo, but had problems with his flight. So he was a no-show. Still not a bad card. But for those that are wondering, you know, what the attendance was like, you know, Paramount Theater only holds about 3,400 people. So it's not like, you know, 16,000 or filling up Madison Square Garden. No, no, no. Only a little over 3,000. They ended up drawing about 3,000 out of 3,400. You know, not bad. But, you know, fans were a little bit disappointed to not see the Nature Boy up close and personal. You know, even though you got to understand, we had the Nature Boy recently in the WWF at that time. So going to the garden and seeing Ric Flair, you know, a lot of us have seen it already. So it was, it was a disappointment, but not a major disappointment. And you know, when I say us, I mean us living in New York and New Jersey in the tri-state area. I did not go to this event. So just to make that clear. 1994, Jesse Ventura wins his lawsuit against the WWF, awarded over $800,000, Still getting royalty checks to this day, and uh, if you would like to hear in your own words, Jesse Ventura explains why he sued WWF, his award settlement, and his royalties to this day.: I went to
7: WCW, and I'll tell you honestly, I went there just for the money. right They gave me big money to come to because I was a steal from Vince. Correct. you yeah. know, and Vince booted me out. you know why, don't you? Yeah. Because I wouldn't sell my copyrighted likeness to him. Oh, I didn't know that it. was the final straw. Oh, yeah. The final straw was, I, I own Jesse the Body Ventura, I own the copyright of it, and I've refused to let him have it without him giving me some type of royalties for it. And that was, and, and I had a video game at the time that was interested in using me, and Vince wouldn't let me do it. And so that's when I quit and left him because I said, Vince, you don't own me, I own me. I was Jesse the Body before I ever came here.
1: I have that in my notes.
8: When did you copyright Jesse the Body of Ventura? Because nobody at that time had the wherewithal to
7: trademark something. I that was d- probably the first time ever. I don't know. I just did it in the mid... I did it in the early 80s when I took the name because I thought... I, you know, I don't want anybody having this, but me, I want to own. I'm Jesse Ventura. I made the name up. I love the name, Jesse. I wanted to be from California. So I matched it up to a map. And when I saw Ventura, it had the ring. So I created it. And so I, I felt I deserved the, of being the creator the copyright of it. So I don't know why, but I, I had enough sense to know copyright this with the federal government. And so Vince could never own my name. He had to license it through me. But was it the video game that was a tipping point, point? Yep. And, and the fact that you wouldn't sell the name? Yep. God dang it. And, and that's that's what he let me go. He couldn't he couldn't allow anyone out of the circle. Right. And then and then the reason I beat him in court was he he could have won because he's not required to pay royalties. But it came out in court. Certain people were getting royalties. It's called quantum merit. Yes. Hogan got royalties. Cindy Lauper got royalties. Mr. T got royalties. But
8: there were kayfabe and everybody else.
7: Yep, and they lied. They had to take care. Of and they, they lied of, yeah. in negotiations because when, I, if you'll yeah. recall, when the night I went into the Hall of Fame, I said the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I was the first wrestler that introduced Vince to an agent. And, oh, God, you should have seen Vince out in the crowd. He was ready to punch (laughs) me. You know, if that's the thing he wants to be remembered for. But it worked because my agent protected me. But
8: you only got the agent because of Predators, right? Yeah. A Predator.
7: Yeah. But I had to quit Vince. Right. You told him, hey, man, it's too good of a gig. Well, did you hear the story? Yeah. About how Vince wasn't going to let me do it? Yeah. Yeah, and I had to quit. I said, I quit. I said, I'm, "Who's going to get a chance to co-star with Arnold?" I said, "I can always come back to wrestling." That'll. I said, "I quit." So I left, and and then it was during then that Arnold approached me about the Running Man, and so I inked that before. I Vince sent word he wanted to talk to me because NBC main event was hit, hitting on him. Where's Jesse Ventura? Because they bought it with you, with me, yeah. And I wasn't there, and so I waited till I signed the Running Man and had it in my pocket for the fall. Right. Then I went to Vince and I told him, well, Vince, I'm not going to talk to you unless you talk to my agent. He handles my career completely. And you're the only one that he doesn't. And Vince argued and I said, well, it ain't good enough. Here's his number. So Vince, of course, got he didn't do it. He got a, a, a somebody else to act as his agent. But they lied because every year I'd negotiate, we would ask, what about videotape royalties? We don't pay them well you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to lie during a negotiation yeah. and that's how i won the case and i call it steve my wrestling retirement because i get i've gotten quarterly checks since 1990 whatever it was right. and some of them are pretty healthy yeah they're not so big today because it's years have gone by but i i've gotten checks that are Upwards of six figures in royalty payments and I call it my book I said I'm the only wrestler that has a retirement (laughs)
4: 1994 as well one of the greatest Japanese wrestling events that featured American wrestlers if you have the opportunity to watch this if you want to just check out some nostalgia it still has shelf life and holds up to this day. In fact, if anybody goes back with me to the late 90s when I was selling videotapes on eBay, my best of Chris Benoit in Japan and Jericho in Japan and others, these matches were always featured on those tapes. It is phenomenal from uh, beginning to end. And, you know, I don't really get into wrestling ratings all that much, but. Just look at what Meltzer has to say of this event in his old dirt sheets. Summed it up perfectly. But it was the first ever Super J Cup held by New Japan in Tokyo. Had wrestlers from the war promotion, New Japan, FMW, Michinoku Pro, CMLL, uh, social progress. It was just outstanding. Tournament, win the J Cup. First round, Gato over Dean Malenko. Super Delphin over Shinjiro Otani. Black Tiger, who was Eddie Guerrero under the mask over Taka El Samurai over Masayoshi Moteji, Ricky Fuji over Negro Casas, Jushin Lago over Hayabusa, and this was the debut of Hayabusa, his character, the gimmick. And the great Sasuke and wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit, under the mask. Uh, they were given buys to go to the second round. So now we have the quarterfinals Gato over Super Delfin, Wild Pegasus over Black Tiger, Great Sasuke over El Samurai, Jushin Thunderlager over Ricky Fuji. The semifinals Wild Pegasus over Gato and Great Sasuke over Jushin Thunderlager. And the finals Wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit defeated Great Sasuke to win the Super J Cup. Outstanding. Now, earlier we talked about Sid Vicious leaving uh, WWF, you know, his issues with uh, management and the matches, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, at this time, Sid Vicious recovered from the stabbing incident with Arn Anderson, and he was supposed to be wrestling here on the Northeast, Maryland, and I believe two other shows, Jersey, and he no-showed them. And uh, we still, to this day, don't know why he no showed them. These were supposed to be his first matches back from the stabbing incident. And you know, you have promotions at that time, and like one match really sells your entire show. And one half of that one match no shows, big problem. And over the years, yes, we know about Sid Vicious, you know, not going to events in favor of softball. Let me let me tell you something. I loved playing softball. I plan on playing softball again in the near future. I'm going to try my hardest. This guy loved playing softball. You know, sure, you got a job to do, you do your job, and then you play softball. Him, he would, you know, make excuses and no-show. And as you will hear later on in the show, a lot of Sid Vicious in this episode, I should add. Later on in the show, somebody will throw up the softball stuff in Sid Vicious's face we'll get into that in a couple of minutes so there you go also this week in 94 even though it wasn't official tv wise until later on in the year when they did the parade in orlando florida and he signed a contract in front of everyone this week in 94 hogan reached a deal with wcw to be a part of their promotion now Rather than me getting into the meat and potatoes of what the contract was, which was lucrative at the time, still, Hogan, 94, big-time player. Yeah, you know, getting maybe some fans getting a little bit tired of Hulkamania in the WWF, but the idea that he would come to WCW and just – you know, have so many new feuds plus the Ric Flair feud that we really wanted to see go further in the WWF. It was an exciting time. I mean a lot I was a, a subscriber of dirt sheets back then. So reading the dirt sheets and seeing a lot of this little behind the scenes stuff was awesome. There was no no real internet at that time. I think in 93 was the earliest I ever went on the internet and it was just basically chats. And yes, you did have some wrestling pages here and there, but you got to keep in mind for everybody that's a little bit older that remembers going out and hanging out in clubs and going to coffee shops and hanging with your friends and barbecuing and going to movies and going to malls and doing stuff like that, you know, when you were out and about with your friends, you weren't, you know, you didn't have that frame of mind yet about, you know, spending time on the internet. Not to mention, even if the internet was around at that time, how many of you owned a computer in 1994? think about that the internet was so early in the day I used to go over this girls house and we used to just go on like chats it was just chat rooms so I'm going to share with you now an interview that Eric Bischoff recently did I think it was a shoot interview and he talks about him signing WCW and he gets into the details of the contract and it's it's very interesting it runs about 10 minutes but You get a lot of behind the scenes as far as how everything went down. Uh, Definitely worth the listen.
9: Take me through the whole Hogan story. Um, When does this idea bubble to the surface?
10: Well, if you signed in June, it probably was April, March or April, might have occurred, more than likely that it started at a Disney taping a couple months prior to that. Was he down there doing Thunder in Paradise? Yeah, he was doing Thunder in Paradise. We were shooting a show. And I don't remember who the liaison was. Somebody said, somebody said to Hulk, hey, you know, Eric Bischoff would like to talk to you. And Hulk gave him, Hulk said, "Here's, give him my number. They gave him Hulk my number. And I, I remember specifically, it was one of those moments. You know, There's a couple moments in my wrestling career that I remember very vividly. And this is one of them. I was, it was late at night. I was laying in bed with my wife. Must have been about 11 o'clock, midnight or something. Already had fallen asleep. And the phone rings in our bedroom. I right? answered the phone, I was half asleep. And I couldn't imagine who was calling me that late at night because anybody that knows me knows A, I don't like to talk on the phone to begin with. And B, after six or seven o'clock at night, I really don't want to talk unless it's really important. So the phone rings at midnight, and my first thought is, oh, God, it's an emergency. But right. anyway, pick up the phone, and Hulk has a pretty distinctive voice. And he said, Hey, brother, Hulk Hogan here. And it took me like 30 seconds to get my shit together because I was sleeping. I was it sound sleep? So I was kind of like in my mind, stuttering and stammering, and you know, trying to buy some time to clear my head. And I finally came to, and we had a nice conversation, and uh, basically ended up with something that sounded like, hey, you know, come on down to Florida, let's have a conversation. If you're interested, I'm interested. Let's talk.
9: How much do you tip your hand at that point? Is is it you lay it all out like? You, you, come, you'll have carte blanche here, No, no. come on down. No. No. How much can you say on a first date like that?
10: Um, I could have said anything I wanted to say probably, but I didn't, it was more like, let's just feel each other out. I wanted to find out what he was interested in doing and what he was available to do. Um, you know, I'm a salesman, first and foremost, and I learned a long time ago that the best way to make a sale is to listen. So I listened as much as I could and let him talk, which helped me frame an offer that I could present to him
9: what kinds of things is he saying
10: um, at that point you know he had, he had worked a lot with WWE He'd been on the road a lot done the 300 day a year thing two shots a day on weekends he'd done all that mm-hmm. his kids were really really young he really wanted to be home more so schedule was a big deal to him um, that was first and foremost got a pretty good clear got a pretty clear idea right off the bat with the money was gonna end up looking like. Um,
9: Was it a figure that was prohibitive? No. Even though you guys were underwater?
10: We were underwater but we had started turning things around. By that time now I had done enough things and this is another part of our history that gets overlooked or buried in some cases as a result of the narrative that's been out there for so long, but when I took over the company, it was a $25 million a year company that was losing $10 million a year. By the time Hogan came on board, all of the things that I had been doing for the year and a half or two years preceding that were starting to make people at Turner Corporate go, huh, maybe Ted was right, maybe this can work. The Disney tapings, you know, externally to the wrestling fans sitting at home or, you know, on the dirt sheets or where you know, before the internet. They hated it. Wrestlers probably hated it. Corporate loved it because advertising loved it. That was working. The whole look and vibe and feel of the show was working corporately. There were corporate executives that now wanted to bring their families to Disney to see WCW because it's something that they owned. So the entire vibe started to change, and so did the economics. Our numbers started improving. And we were losing less and less and less we were rapidly getting to that point where it looked like, in fact, in 1994, we were so close to making money I think it was in 1994 that I bet the Chief Financial Officer of Turner Broadcasting, and I made I, I bet him one dollar that I was going to turn a profit in 1995. And a year later, I made him get on his hands and knees and hand me that dollar in front of the executive vice president of Turner Broadcasting. So we were close enough to the point where people started to believe in me that when the Hogan opportunity came to light, it was simply a conversation with Bill Shaw, who was my boss at the time, and Bill went to Ted, and Ted went, hell yeah,
9: let's make it work. How many conversations did did it take with Terry to get him to that point where with me yeah he's talking to you exclusively right he's not talking to Ted or or,
10: no no well he's probably no he wouldn't talk not to Flair about money (laughs) um the and, and I'm hesitating because I can't remember what the the chicken came before the egg or uh-huh. vice versa. But part of it all dovetailed. It wasn't just the money and then we had to figure out the creative. It wasn't the creative first time we had to figure out the money. It was getting him comfortable, getting Hulk comfortable on the creative side of the equation and what his future was going to look like while we were figuring out the money. So it was kind of going, right. going on at the same time. But Rick had nothing to do with the business side of it. He had a lot to do and almost everything to do with the creative side of it. Um, Rick and I went down, we met with Hulk probably two, three, four times over the course of a month and a half or two months talking about what could be. And it may have started out as something as simple as, well, how about this guy or how about that guy? Hulk wanted to work with Rick. That was the best play for Hulk. So then it became, all right, what do we do with Hulk and Rick? How do we build that story? How do we tell that story? Once the creative issues were solved And we kind of had a pretty good blueprint of what we wanted to do, which was Hogan and Flair. The money side of the equation, that was really between Bill Shaw, uh, myself to a degree, Bill Shaw primarily, and obviously Ted, because it was a lot of money. Um, But it, it actually came together pretty quickly and relatively painlessly.
9: It's reported that the initial deal he agrees to is 300000 per match for three pay-per-view shows and three clashes, plus 25% of any increase in pay-per-view revenue above the recent WCW average, 25% of the house for a handful of house show dates in Europe and the United States, and 65% of all merchandising revenue for a period ending December 31st, ninety four, Ballpark? Sound like something?
10: The deal that I remember, you know, and, and maybe it's... Maybe what I'm about to say is part of that, or part of the deal that you have information about. But what I remember is the nut was about $2 million a year. There were four pay per views involved in that. There were TVs that led up to each one of those pay per views mm-hmm. that were included in that $2 million figure. And, you know, he may have gotten a big chunk of the licensing and merchandising off of his stuff, not off of everybody else's.
9: Gotcha. Um creative control, it's a, a, a philosophy that's been bandied about a lot, but you said some very poignant stuff about it in your book about the creative control clause in Hogan's contract um, that I think was pretty telling in that if you're working at the top anywhere, you kind of have creative control, mm-hmm. don't you? Sure. Just the fact that you've put ask it in Stone words. Cold, ask
10: Stone Cold Steve Law right.
9: Center, ask The Rock. You may appease ask, me by putting it in print, but you yeah. going to see me.
10: Yeah, talk to the clique back in the day. Ask, call, ask Ask Vince McMahon how many times he had to jump on a plane and fly to a house show and get people to do crap they didn't want to do. So, yeah, while we may have expressed it contractually in Hogan's contract, and by the way, I've heard and read a lot, especially recently, about how a lot of people had creative control, which is, I think, it's fabrication. I'd like to see a contract that I signed that other than Hogan gave anybody creative control. I don't think it really existed.
9: Could there were people claiming they had creative control oh, yeah. on, under you.
10: Oh yeah, I've read that.
9: Okay. Um. But does the fact that you've you've uh, tacitly expressed it in a contract now start to to flutter through the locker room and have others say well hey did realize yeah, that was on there the was, table there
10: was some resentment there's no doubt about it there was some resentment especially with guys like rick flair and and people of, of you know people that were higher up in the food chain yeah there was resentment no doubt about
9: it um the big parade at disney how does one go off We'll go about pulling that off. It's really pretty easy. Did you just piggyback on the existing parade that happens every day? And throw no, you, them just go,
10: you go to Disney and you tell them this is what we want to do and it's Hulk Hogan. And they go, oh, Hulk Hogan. My gosh, the, the crowd at Disney would love that. And, of course, you have to pay for it. And right. You stage it and you create a big parade.
4: 1995, we talked about NWC earlier. Really going over the top with their racial storylines. Well, Smoky Mountain Wrestling had one this week as well. It was a tag match. It had the gangsters taking on Tracy Smothers and the Undertaker in a salute the flag match. Undertaker and Tracy Smothers had the Confederate flag. Now, I've always said, you know, you watch the Dukes of Hazard. You know, the Confederate, you know, symbol was more about the South. I don't think the Dukes of Hazard, you know, the Duke boys uh, were racist. I don't think it ever came across that way. You know, it was a representation of the South. I'm not justifying it. The problem here is they're facing the gangsters, and New Jack and Mustafa, along with D'Lo Brown and others, are you know stroking the flame of the racial overtones. Now you put them against two guys that have Confederate flags, and um, you know, it really sp- sparks emotions even more. So I give you now Tracy Smothers in his own words, telling us back then, what went down in this match and the problem that they had with the cops. I believe this is from his our video shoot interview. It only runs three minutes long, but it gives you an idea as far as how raw some of these emotions be- became in some of these storylines. So Tracy Smothers on his tag match with the Undertaker against the Gangsters.
11: New Jack and Mustafa, we were doing the thing to bring Undertaker in, uh, the Bluegrass Brawl, brought- 1995. Okay. So, yeah, um, And Bob Armstrong had food poisoning, you know. And we were, well, that was at the Bluegrass Brawl, he had food poisoning. The TVs, the four TVs leading up to it, they got heat on balls. He was uh, Boo Bradley, You know, got heat on a couple other baby faces, I can't remember. At the end of the night, they were going to leave Jimmy Cornette, turn him baby face. He did things, we we're going to manage them, all that, this, uh, you know. and. We were doing a six-man tag: Bob Armstrong, Undertaker, myself, with with d uh, Mustafa, and uh, uh, and, and, and uh, New Jack. You know, so the end result of the last taping was them leave us laying, cover us with a Malcolm X flag. We're somewhere in Virginia. Another situation, the Klan area, the whole bit, all that, right? There's no lie. and after they did it to Boo Bradley because they used Boo Good as a you know balls as a as a right. you know face. Boo's always a good worker. And they'd get heaped with people. They'd already laid somebody laying before that. It was going up the tier, you know what I mean? Sure. And they're gonna do it to us. You know? Well, the cop come running back there. he goes he goes, hey you come here, come here, smothers, come here, come here, come here. Like that. He was cool, but he was pissed. Him and two got two cops right behind him. He goes look. We don't have that around here. We don't have that bullshit around there. That's bullshit, you know, did the flag a few years ago, burn it. He said, that shit don't fly here. Right there, dude. And, and I said, look, man, I said, we'll get them. And they were getting ready to leave me and Jimmy laying, you know, and cover us with Malcolm Fagg. So we'll get them, it's all right. You don't want to smart them up. And he goes, no, no, we're stopping it now. He goes, that don't fly here. That's not going down here. We've heard what these guys been doing. This is doing in other counties that, uh-uh ain't happening. I said, look, I said, we are getting ready for the biggest three shows we've ever had. We're bringing Undertaker in to all three of our major, to Pikeville, to Johnson City, to, I don't know if he went and did Knoxville with us on that. I know he did Pikeville and Johnson City. You know, I don't think he did Knoxville on that. He did, but he might've worked with uh, Cain. It was kind of what came there. But anyway, I said, if you arrest these guys, and I said, everything we got is tied up into this right here. I said, we're done, we're finished, we'll be shut down. I said, there's a lot of money in this right there. I said, this is business. we trying. And I had to smart them. You didn't smart them up back then. Jimmy was living with the cops. Living. I didn't even let nobody know I did that. New Jack and Stuff and D'Lo were in the back of the dressing room, and they really thought that they were coming to get them. And they had all everything they could get a hold of. To, they thought they were, they were going to go down swimming. Yeah, that's a true story, man
4: little bonus audio i know i've shared it before but if you just want to reminisce it especially you know just looking at everything overall here is a promo very infamous one if you were a fan of smoky mountain wrestling you had the gangsters in a cemetery and new jack on the mic cutting a promo talking about how they were not afraid of the undertaker and paul bearer
12: okay now look now look we're gonna go in we're gonna go in the cemetery all right we're going to go ahead, we're going to show these people that we're not scared of Undertaker, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to go. Now, I mean, all we got to do is just go in here, we're going to walk around a little bit and get used to this graveyard, so we're gonna shoot. going to show everybody what's going on, and the gangs ain't scared of nothing, you know what I'm saying? And deal, you ain't scared, are you? No, no. <clears throat> Kyle, you scared? No, I'm, I'm with you. All right, then. Stopper, you with me, right? You ain't scared? I ain't going in there, man. Come on, Stopper, man. All we got to do is just walk in the damn cemetery, come on. As you can see, we out in the cemetery and uh, we hey 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 hey, don't we step trying on. to prepare it? What? It's bad. luck. don't step on the graves, man. It's man, bad luck. look, wait, hold on. We trying to prepare for this match we got coming up with the Undertaker, Tracer Smother, and Armstrong and Cornette and whoever else. Now I understand that Paul, Paul Bear, and the Undertaker. This is something that, like they might be used to, but uh. The gangsters ain't used to this, but I'm trying to show everybody that we ain't scared to come in no grave yo. So we might have to dig up a couple of folks just to show you that we ain't really all that scared. And if I seem kind of nervous, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm just, you know, just want to make sure that everything all right out here. All right, Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Cornette. This is about as low as you can get. Speaking of low, we probably stand on a gray that's about six or seven foot deep, but this is about as low as you can get. Now I'm going to show you that the gangsters ain't scared. I'm going to show you that we going to stoop to your kind of match. you understand? You wanted the gangsters, now you got the gangsters. And I don't like being out here, I'm going to be honest, I really don't. But we're going to come and we're going to try to get rid of Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Cornette, and Tracer, you know what I mean? And I hope for the sake of everybody, this is the last time I have to walk through a graveyard. I don't like being out here. And I might... Hey, not sh- that? I heard something, man. What? Over you there. ain't heard nothing. I, I heard some, man. Oh, you
4: did. You ain't heard nothing. I told you I heard something. <laughs> also in 1995, we had the debut in the WWF of Doc Hendricks. Michael P.S. Hayes, clean cut, clean shaving, with the exception of the mustache. I know back then when we first saw it, we hated it the fuck did you do with Michael PS Hayes but you look at the character and being a shill and thinking about shop at home at that time and just he's always shilling merchandise he would do interview segments as well but after a while you kind of accepted it but thank god little by little they let him go back to Michael PS Hayes and he is still Michael PS Hayes to this day but just uh, really reminiscent about the you know, Doc Hendricks when he first was doing a gimmick, man, there were so many people that were annoyed what the fuck is WWF doing? Especially when you look at a lot of the bad gimmicks that were going down around that time, and didn't go off all that well. Speaking of gimmicks, this week in 1995 we had a, a promo a vignette cut about a lot of the riff raff going on in the WWF, and very very shortly we would have the in-ring wrestling debut of this man. Hello,
13: Hunter Hurst Helmsley here. You know, when it comes to riffraff, delinquents, and hooligans, the World Wrestling Federation has more than its fair share. Bushwhackers who give hongies? Whew, how revolting. Head shrinkers who eat raw fish? Police. Please. And what about these smoking guns? I would wear a cowboy hat to a dog show. In other words, it's high time for all these superstars in the World Wrestling Federation to learn a lesson in class, in civility, and in how to be a gentleman. And I am just the man to teach them. Losers work hard to become champions. But for someone like me, being a champion just comes... naturally.
4: (laughs) Wrapping up 1995, and you know what? I know a lot of people at the time were really angry about this. But you know what? It helped the first ever ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal. It was this week in 1995 that... Sabu was legitimately fired from ECW. Put a long story short, he was double booked. He was supposed to perform in ECW for events this weekend in 95, but he also took bookings for New Japan. New Japan was offering him a lot more money. And, you know, as you will hear over episodes, even later on in this one with Mike Awesome and others, it's about money more than anything. Got to feed your family. Got to support yourself. You know, of course, you're dedicated to a company you know you're willing to take some cuts or some late pay here and there but Sabu really wanted to work Japan instead and he no-showed and if you ever watch not the WWE Network stuff because they're always fucking with audio and shit but if you watch the raw videos of the events that went down this weekend you know all throughout the night fuck Sabu fuck Sabu fuck Sabu You see wrestlers these days always get triggered on Twitter that they get really upset that you chant other people's names during their matches. This went on all night long in everybody's match toward the fans just showing how much they were angry at Sabu. But you know what? And I wonder if anybody ever even thinks about this. This might have been a blessing for ECW because, number one, he would ultimately return not too far after this. Because remember, he wrestled November to remember ninety-five. What was it against um, Hack Myers, I think? But another thing is, it allowed Taz to start cutting promos on Sabu. Where's Sabu? Sabu, this. He quit. He left. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Sabu versus Taz, the first ever Barely Legal pay per view, which also happened this week in history. You know, you think of how that storyline was built up. And anybody who was an ECW fan at that time, including me, this was like a two year storyline that built up to this moment. So, you know, if he would have never been fired, who knows how that buildup would have ended up being. So, I, you know, looking back on it, kind of good that this happened. Just my opinion. 1996, Brian Pillman severely injured in a single car accident in Kentucky. Uh, fell asleep behind the wheel, flipped his Hummer, thrown about, what was it, 80 feet shattered his face, broke bones, broke his ankle, never the same ever again. And unfortunately, pain medication and other medicinal, you know, items just really caught up to Brian Pillman and we lost him way too soon. Just really, really terrible. But I'm going to give you some bonus audio. You know, Brian Pillman was hospitalized, I'd say at least a week, Well, shortly after he was released from the hospital, he actually did a radio interview. And um, this was an interview that he was supposed to do prior to his accident. So he kept his commitment and they were talking about the injuries he had just suffered. And at this time as well, you know, he reveals about a little bit of going to the WWF, Some choice words towards Shawn Michaels in a tongue-in-cheek joke that I think probably offended a lot of people, but I figured I'd share with you because you may have never heard it before, and the audio quality is crap. I'm just preparing you, but it's good enough that I honestly think that you'll appreciate it, especially if you've never heard it. This is Brian Pillman, 1996, shortly after his Hummer accident. Police
9: reports and doctor reports. Can
14: you tell us in your own words what, it, what happened? 70 miles per hour. Okay. On a Kentucky state route which doesn't have shoulders. In a Hummer. Now there's no shoulders on those roads. No. I was on my way to take the famous, critically acclaimed, Calgary Stampede Hart 80th Anniversary Show. Mm-hmm tape, I made a few stubs of it. I was going to mail it off to some personal friends. One of them, it slid down at my foot by the gas pedal. Um, as I reached down to grab it, the width of that vehicle is, is so immense that as I reached down to grab, I just slid off into the shoulder a little bit. Hit something. That shot me across a double yellow line. Okay? Right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm off-road. Now, now picture this, we're out in Kentucky, you know, horse farms, the Pillman compound, etc. <laughs> I figured, i started out at 70 miles per hour. I think, okay, I'm off-road, I'm in a Hummer, everything's cool. No problem, I'll slow down, I'll get back on the road. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I remember until I woke up in the hospital. Holy cow. But what had happened is, down where I live, Due to the ravenous greed of developers, they wanna they want to destroy America the beautiful and put up all these subdivisions and housing projects, etc. Well not high, there's no housing projects where I live, but they <laughs> are like giant palatial estates. So they have to cut down all these trees. Well they decided to cut this big oak tree down to a stump. And unfortunately for me, the way they cut it was like at a wedge shape. And I hit that thing, unbeknownst to me, 70 miles per hour, and I instantly became Evil Knievel. It was like a ramp. Shot up in the air. Then proceeding to come straight down, nose first. And luckily for me, I didn't have a seatbelt on because when I hit nose first... It was like pressing the eject button of an F-16. It shot me straight out, and and once again, due to my dedication and and just overall genetic gifts, you know, having a 20-inch neck, I pierced the convertible top of that vehicle with my head like a bullet. was shot out 50 feet away from the vehicle and ended up doing uh, two end-over-end flips. Oh, my Lord. And you wonder why we're having trouble going toe-to-toe with the Croats and eggs? That's a military vehicle? The thing is totaled. I'm still here. All right, what were you, what was he? you supposed to be able to take on a landmine.
11: Brian, what was the extent of your injuries?
14: Um, my face was uh, shattered and my, my ankle was broken. It,
11: it. It actually, it sounds like you got away for, you're a fairly lucky man for an accident like that.
14: Boy, well, you know, your average, everyday nine to five Joe would have died at the scene. <laughs> yeah, <most laughs> remember it was me. I you know, <laughs> remember God. the survival instincts that I got, the yeah. pride, the courage I take into, into
9: trying to give
14: this country a shot in the arm.
4: Well, you're doing a good job.
9: Now, no. you're not having plastic surgery and, uh, you know, got to go into the WWF as Shawn Michaels' twin or something. I don't know what goes on in America online. That's That's, think about that statement. Uh, it's,
14: it's preposterous, but just to make it initial. official. be showing up next year at the uh, NFL alumni banquet I go to every year mm-hmm. with some of the all-time greats who I've, I've come to gain a rapport with and say, Hey, it's, it's it's really Brian. I, I just decided to look like a dick dancer because it would take me more and Come on, guys. Hey, we're we're only
11: asking about the rumors that we heard, but wait but I want you to get off this subject for a second. Um when do you expect to be fully recovered? I mean a broken ankle, a shattered face, that's some pretty heavy duty stuff. Are you is it completely restructured is that what had to happen to your face? No, it
14: was just they just it was just they were all broken and they just had to okay. Right right now. I am the owner of four steel titanium plates bolted to my face to hold everything together, and I'm sorry, guys. I don't look anything like that guy. I thought Mrs. Buttafucco had it tough because you guys don't have a dump button. But That's a family show. I look nothing like him. I look like Brian, Ethan Pillman, with a swollen face
4: and black eyes. 1997, <laughs> I don't need to get into the whole story. You'd know the deal already. WWF was in Kuwait promoting events, and there was a TV show in Kuwait called Good Morning Kuwait. Bosam Al-Otham was the morning host. He was going to interview Vader and The Undertaker. And basically what the deal was, they knew he would they were gonna be asked the question about wrestling being scripted. And Vader was gonna get a little bit animated with the show host, but nothing physical. Nothing physical was ever discussed. And Vader, in character, getting really angry at the question that was posed, decided to put his hands on the announcer, the host. Didn't get hurt, shook him up, as you'll hear in his voice, Sounded like he was about to cry. And what ended up happening was Vader was detained in Kuwait. And originally, you know, we thought, my God, this this guy may get hit with a thousand Singapore canes, which was severe punishment overseas in some countries at that time. It still probably is now. But, you know, when we had Sandman have the Singapore cane and then you hear Vader being detained in Kuwait. You know, there was a lot of us wondering what the fuck's going to happen with this guy. As you heard in interviews over the years after, Vader was detained, you know, in a hotel. It was like house arrest while everything was trying to be cleared up. And he actually was treated extremely well. And this host actually sued and won a little, a small lawsuit two years later. You know, there was a lot of people at that time as well, because remember, this is right when I started doing the wrestling hotline. And I, this was one of the earliest things I ever covered. A lot of my listeners thought this was whole scripted, that he wasn't really being detained. And it's not Oh, a lot of it was real. And it's all because the host just didn't like having anybody put his hands on him. So I give to you now, instead of interviews of wrestlers and Cornette and others explaining what happened behind the scenes, it only runs three and a half minutes. But here is the footage of the host asking Undertaker and Vader if wrestling is uh, fake. And the funny thing is, if you ever watch the video, if you've never seen it, Undertaker didn't flinch once, sitting there watching this all go down. Pretty humorous, pretty humorous.
15: حسبت بطولة العالم المصارعة بهذه على السادة صلاح والسلام استعدنا أن نستضيف مصارعين مشاركين بهذه البطولة ما شاء الله مصارعين يعني شايفين الأحجام. Undertaker please thank you very much thanks for coming to the studio. على المقابل. Can can I ask you just, in in Kuwait here, I mean, I'm I'm sure you heard this before, that they say this wrestling is not for real. Is it like you you act or...? Well,
16: let's put it this way. What we do, if it is acting, we take a normal man and break him in half. You know, that's such an unoriginal question for someone to ask. you know, and it's so easy for people to pass judgment and make uh, all these 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 questions about what wrestling is. Wrestling is one of the finest athletic endeavors that you will ever see. Not only do you get the best of athletics, but you get people who can actually sell tickets by just their character alone. There's several people who could care whether or not I'm wrest- I can wrestle or not. But the message that I bring when I go to the ring, my creatures of the night, they don't care what it is. But let me let me assure you, it's the most physical thing that you would ever do in your
15: life. <laughs> لان لو كانت مزيفة يعني مزيفه كان ممكن نيبون شخص عادي يعني بالحجم العادي ويقصونه نصين يعني حسب كلامه لكن عملية ال الرفع وال والهبد اللي قاعد يصير على هذا لا يمكن ان تكون من الايام تنفيذ لانها تحتاج الى اجسام وقوة معينه is it just for the wrestling shows that- Excuse uh, me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm sorry, yeah. You gave him
17: a chance to respond to yeah, that question.
15: This is, this is the question I'm gonna ask you now. I'd, I'd like to will. respond to the same question. Okay, please, go ahead. Well, my astute
17: colleague, the heavyweight champion of the world, very diplomatic individual, I'm perhaps not quite so diplomatic. In fact, I find your, your question and uh, your remarks insulting to what I do. Physically, no man can do what I do in the ring. If they could, why wouldn't they be out there making the type of money we make enjoy the type of fame and lifestyle that we enjoy. So I find your remark and your
15: question insulting. It's not my question. It's somebody the... T- <laughs> Does
17: that fucking feel fake, huh? Does that feel fake?
15: Anything. Does it? Oh no, no, just... Why don't that. you come down tonight and before I kick his ass, I'll kick your ass. Okay. Oh All right. God. Just calm down. Don't. Hey, we're not here to be insulted. I'm not here to be insulted. Okay. okay. Right. Um. هذه شيء من الاثنين يا إما يا إما المخرج في كل الاحوال أنا راح Wrapping up 1997,
4: as I said earlier, ECW had their first ever pay-per-view, barely legal. I still have my original VHS tape, taking, taping it from that night. All the pre commercials, hyping it up. Still love it to this day. Terry Funk winning the gold was awesome. Seeing a lot of behind the scenes stuff in the Beyond the Mat documentary was even icing on the cake. It was just phenomenal. And, um, you know, this should have happened a lot sooner. If it wasn't for mass transit lying about his age, getting into the ring with New Jack and others and fucking, you know, just becoming a a lot of cable companies didn't want to go near ECW's Toxic. Plus, ultimate fighting at the time was a a new concept to a lot of people, and they just thought this was way too extreme for pay-per-view. And if I remember correctly, I think the pay-per-view started at nine instead of eight because they felt it was too adult for children to watch but they did a really decent pay-per-view buy rate at the time. It was legit, and I still love watching it to this day. I have oh, I have to always watch the original footage. I, can't, I know theme music is not the be-all, end-all of being entertained in wrestling, but I can't fucking watch Sandman entrance to WWF generic music. I can't watch Dreamer and Shane Douglas and others coming out to... No, I just can't. So anyway, just to reminisce the match results from that night. Dark match, Luis Piccoli over Balls Mahoney. Also another dark match, JT Smith and Chris Chetty over the FBI. The Eliminators win the ECW Tag Titles, defeating the Dudleys. Rob Van Dam over Lance Storm. Loved his promo. He cut after that, talking about going to Monday nights. Great Sasuke, Gran Hamada, and Masato Yokushi. Over BWO Japan, which was Takamichi Noku, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo, and you would end up seeing a lot of them in WWF. Shane Douglas over Pitbull, number two to retain the ECW TV title. Taz over Sabu. And when you watch this feud for two years building up, I hated when Taz stuck out his hand to shake Sabu's hand. You, I always bring this up. I think I brought this up since 97, early days of my hotline. Just watching the fans in attendance. Like, all right, I'll politely clap, but I don't like the handshake. But then, you know, thank God RVD and Sabu attacked Taz and, you know, it set up a bigger feud. Then it was WWF versus ECW for a little while because you'd have RVD and Sabu doing matches on Raw, which was fucking phenomenal. So, you know, in the end, it was fine. Terry Funk... Over the Sandman and Stevie Richards in a three-way dance to earn a right for the ECW Heavyweight Championship. It was funny as I was preparing for the show earlier in the week. You know, some people were posting stuff about this week in history too, and uh, they were talking about this pay-per-view. And I found five different places reporting that Terry Funk defeated the Sandman and Stevie Richards to win the heavyweight title. Well, who was the champion that he defeated? I mean, it's just, that's what happens when you don't fucking research or watch things for yourself. But Terry Funk in that three-way only earned the right to face the champion, who was Raven. And then he defeated Raven for the title. And, you know, it was getting very close to the, uh, I believe the 11 o'clock hour. Yeah, I think the pay-per-view didn't go two hours. It was very close, but they had to go to an abrupt finish. And he, I, they, if I remember, they did the roll-up. Terry Funk won, bleeding profusely. Fans in the crowd didn't care if they got a little blood on their clothes and fucking ruined their shirts and stuff. I guarantee they probably have it stored away in a box. Yeah, this was the night that I sat and Terry Funk was right next to me, won the title. It's nice. Nice. You ever think you're, you know, having a little bloody shirt? Uh, anyway, so it was awesome. The night before, they did a banquet honoring Terry Funk. There's a lot of footage of that banquet online. If you've never seen it, watch it it is pretty fun and it is uncensored by the way 1998 Monday Nitro you know Chris Jericho coming out for one of his matches and you had a fan standing on the uh along the the rampway you know you had all the fans on each side of the rampway and one of them you know, if you remember Jericho used to, as he used to come out on the rampway, when fans would have signs positive about Jericho, he would look at the sign and he'd tear it up in a million pieces. And for most fans, that was an honor. You know, you're a little kid, you cry. But for fans, it's like, oh, fucking cool, Chris Jericho tore up my sign. Awesome. It sucks when you spend 18 hours making a sign and you think it's recyclable or you could keep using it on events and it gets torn up, then you'd be pissed. But just a g- generic signs, Jericho would do that. This time a fan decided, all right, I'll be a little bit creative. And he basically wrote a sign that says Jericho is gay. Clear on hard camera. Ridiculous. What was even more ridiculous is that this Matarat spelled Jericho. J-E-R-R-I-C-O, I think it was. No, yeah, J-E-R-R-I-C-O. Didn't even know how to spell Chris Jericho's name. Fucking Dope. 1999, we have Steve Austin, WWF champion, The Rock, challenging Steve Austin, basically feuding leading up to their backlash pay-per-view. And basically, The Rock got hold of Steve Austin's Smoking Skull title. And as Steve Austin is cutting a promo in the ring, we then see The Rock on some bridge... I don't know how Steve Austin would have typed it in his GPS if he had one. I think he called it Jabroni Bridge or something like that. So anyway, The Rock is teasing to Steve Austin that he's going to throw the title over the bridge. And he challenged Steve Austin to try to find him. And this is how it went down on Raw.
8: If you're ready for Backlash, give me a hell yeah! Yeah! You damn right, I see The Rock went and got himself a breath of fresh air, but I tell you this, Rock, you better get a bunch of breath, a bunch of damn fresh air, because if you thought WrestleMania was something, you got another thing coming, because there ain't no way the Stone Cold Steve Austin is gonna go into Backlash and not come back with that belt! As far as Shane McMahon, the special referee, goes, you can come out here in the middle of this ring and run down Vince like the jackass that he is. Uh Uh-oh. You can slap him in the face because I really don't give a damn how you treat Vince. I will say this. You better roll in that match as a special referee and you will count one, one, two, three, and you will not treat Stone Cold Steve Austin like Vince McMahon, because if you do, I will beat your ass like the sorry son of a bitch that you are.
18: And he is
2: intense. He means every word he says.
8: With Backlash being two weeks away, I will go in that match and I will get back that belt. But the way I look at it, Two weeks is just too damn long for Stone Cold Steve Austin.
17: Uh Uh-oh. I don't like the
8: sound of that. So the situation is really quite simple. Rockiever, get that damn belt, bring it in this ring, and hand it over to Stone Cold Steve Austin, or I will come back there and drag your nursery rhyme singing Rudy Pooh Candy Rats
2: personal property that melt.
8: I will drag your Rudy Pooh KDS out here and wipe this whole damn arena with your stinking ass. Hey hey
17: redneck piece of trash Exactly. It's the great one. The Rock, the people's champ. Does this look familiar to you, Austin? Does it? It's your piece of trash title. It's the bridge. There's the water, and it's a long way down. But uh uh-uh, The Rock, he's not going to throw it over the bridge like you did The Rock's intercontinental title about a year and a half ago. No, 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 no. The Rock's an opportunist. As a matter of fact, he's such an opportunist that he wants you to find The Rock. You come on this bridge. You come and get this piece of trash. You call a belt. You're such a big game hunter. Well, I'll tell you what, Stone Cold, you go ahead and you come and hunt the greatest species, biggest, baddest species, walking God's green earth in the Brahma bull himself. So the rock is up here, Stone Cold. You want it, you come and get it. The rock isn't going to tell you where he's at. Ah uh the Rock is up here on the Rudy Pooh Hey, don't do it, don't do it. The Rock is up here on the Rudy Pooh Bridge. It's on the corner of the People's Champ Boulevard and Candy Ass Lane. Stone Cold, you want the piece of trash, you come get
8: the piece of trash. Whoa. You stand up there and you call yourself it's a super species. As far as I'm concerned, you are the super feces. Oh. Mm. And you might want to watch your damn balance because I ain't so sure that feces floats. That belt is coming back with Stone Cold Steve Austin tonight. And that's the bottom line. Stone Cold success.
1: Trap, trap down
17: the rock that'll be the biggest game off the neighborhood. This is ridiculous. The rock's got millions and millions of fans, Stone Cold. Where the hell you at? Other oh, than ten pounds of monkey grabbing in a five-pound bag. What the hell's that? I don't know. Oh, what a quick you A little fishing pole. Well, I'll tell you what, Stone Cold. Everybody knows The Rock is the avid fisherman. There's even a hook right there. You come on down, you find a Rudy Pooh Bridgestone called, The Rock will put your candy ass right on the end of that. He'll throw you out there and we'll see what we catch. And we'll probably catch a mutated freak fish since you're such a candy ass piece of trash. Uh-oh. 316, huh? 316, well, The Rock says he hopes your candy ass is coming. Huh? You want to play games game, Stone Cold? Well, The Rock ain't going nowhere. The great one ain't going nowhere, 316, The Rock's ass. Well, hell, I guess according to The Rock's Rolex, it's taken a long time for that piece of trash to come. Rock really couldn't help, so what he's going to do is go on and throw this Stone Cold back. <laughs> well, The Rock smells trash. Oh, well, look at this. Look what we got going on here. He's of Texas trailer of Park track. Rock and God's green earth. You want to pressure,
2: your Whatever Whatever it is. Will you bring your candy ass? Here we go. Here we go now. The piss light is on. Right
17: here outside. The rock the, 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 the in the rattlesnake. Yourself, You go You piece of Go to hell. No. You watch your belt, I'll tell you what, here it is, and you take it to hell with you.
4: Ah! As you heard, I trimmed everything, spliced it, put it all together for your entertaining pleasure. As I did in the next segment, sit back and relax. This is going to be a little bit because. Not only is it one of my favorite episodes of WCW Nitro of all time, I think it was one of the most important episodes that they ever did. This was the WCW reboot. Now, remember, this was shortly after the Radicals leaving WCW for the WWF. You will hear Shane Douglas mentioned early on because Shane Douglas had walked out also. And, you know, they teased it that Shane Douglas may show up in WWF as well, but Shane Douglas decided to come back. And he actually did appear on this episode of Nitro. But Vince Russo was never seen on camera up until this point in WCW. And you'd always see his hands and hear his voice sitting behind a desk with the powers to be and blah, 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 blah. So this was the first time that Vince Russo comes out on camera and actually speaks. Not only that, Eric Bischoff had been gone for several months. You know, management, Turner, sent them home. They brought in Russo. A, you know, they didn't ultimately like, I guess, where things were going. And they wanted to have Russo and Bischoff basically work together. Now, the original idea in the storyline, as far as TV goes, is that Vince Russo wanted to push the younger stars. Eric Bischoff, you know, was more for the older guys, the established guys, the ones that drew. So there was going to be a clash between WCW's new blood and, you know, as they called it, the good old boys. That's basically what the storyline is. So again, if you've never watched this episode, watch it from beginning to end because it is a lot of fun just from stop to bottom it's it's too bad that they couldn't maintain this and yes a lot of the things just went way off the rail 8,000 title changes just really whacked out storylines but there was a couple of gems in this as well that I'm going to share with you tonight so first here is the opening segment Uh, Basically, a lot of the younger WCW stars are in the ring along with Vince Russo. This is from my own raw footage because WWF, there was no way that they were going to allow Vince Russo's original entrance music to be on the fucking network. So here is the original footage and then I'll come back and segue into a couple of other moments that went down that same night on Nitro.
2: and Mark Madden, and you are looking live in the ring. Many of the wrestlers, many of the valets are in the ring. We understand that these are men and ladies called to a special meeting by Vince Russo. Scott Hudson, his invited guest, so to speak. You can see the concern on the face of the talent in World Championship Wrestling. What does Vince Russo have to say? Are the careers over? These people are looking at jobs, careers that may be on the line in the next few minutes, Tony. Mark, we don't know what's going to go down, but Vince Russo has called this meeting. But is everybody's career on the line? I see a lot of big stars who aren't out there yet, Tony. I see a lot of big names who aren't in the ring. Well, here comes some more. You see Big Papa Pump, the wall. Who else is this? come on this telecast and we say that boy tonight we have this and tonight we have that and tonight we can't wait to see this tonight we don't know what's going on What we've got is a ring and a ringside full of WCW talent. And all we know thus far, Vince Russo has called the meeting. Is he going to clean house? Is it going to be a wholesale firing of this group in the ring and at ringside right now? Are we going to be here for the entire show? Who knows? Vince Russo, the powers that be, has a message for WCW.
0: some six months ago i told everyone that i was the chosen one i was hand picked to be the next wcw world champion my future was in the hands of the man who had the biggest hand in turning the wwf around i know because i was there Well, somewhere along the way, our master plan got derailed by a pack of good old boys who couldn't compete and weren't even in his league and they knew it. Well, I've just got one thing to say. Yeah, I've just got one thing to say to that bunch of slap nuts sitting at home watching on TV tonight. What goes around, comes around. So without further ado, it is my honor and my privilege to introduce you to the man who, who once was Vince McMahon's best kept secret, who will once again change the game. The power is Vince Russo.
2: Yeah. Kelly, Vince Russo said he'd never appear on camera ever. All about well, it must be big for him to appear on camera. You're right, we all knew that. The man behind the powers that be for many months in WCW is walking back in for the first time ever seen on camera. The Truso, the man that reinvented the World Wrestling Federation and changed WCW as we knew it late last year. Then kicked to the curb. He is back and in charge right now. What he's got to say? Want well, to hold on? He's not in charge by himself, Scott. He's not in charge by himself. Yep. Where is Eric Bischoff? I don't know. You
5: no. Know, after giving six years of my life to the World Wrestling Federation, I came to WCW with one thing in mind. And that was to beat Vince McMahon at his own game. And you know what? Within a matter of weeks, the new blood in WCW were not only getting back in the game, they were changing the game. And that's when the good old boy network kicked in afraid of change, and more importantly, afraid of their jobs. The political BS took place in the back to bring Vince Russo down. And you scum at home know who you are because you're watching me now. And then one day, I'm told that there's gonna be a change in direction. A change that I knew sucked. And you know what? I wasn't the only one who knew. Benoit knew. Guerrero knew. Saturn knew. Malenko knew. Douglas knew. And they left. They're gone. Scott Steiner, he knew it. And they suspended his ass. It's done. And Vince Russo is back in charge again. And I want to turn around and I want to say something to everybody in this ring. It is over. The old boys management is over. The inflated egos in the back, afraid to lose their spot, it is over. It is the dawning of a new day. It is your opportunity. Seize that opportunity. Are you done yet? Here
2: it is, Bischofuso. Round one. Here we go. Round one. Heaven, or I've woken up in wrestling hell. This is the most surreal moment I've ever seen in sports entertainment. Eric Bischoff walks back into the program that he established back in 1995 on this network. This man, Vince Russo and I, have more in common than anybody knows. But the big thing is the fact that we were both screwed by the same good Old boys network. Vince is right. Those days are over. But it's okay. I don't even mind. And you know why I don't mind? Because it's giving me a hell of an opportunity to think about all the great things I did here in WCW. But it's also given me an opportunity to realize the mistakes I've made. Mistakes like Scott Hall. Forget, Sid wished he was vicious. But you know what the biggest mistake I've ever made? I mean, this is a real big one. Hulk Hogan. God, wait a minute. He's always been a Hogan back. I can't believe. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Everybody told me. because you will be blinded. Well, I was blinded, but tonight I've got 2020 vision. I'm seeing real clearly for the first time in a long time. And right now, I want to apologize to everybody in this ring, the new blood. And I want you guys to know that if there's anything that I can do for Vince Russo that will help you, I am there for him. I am there for you, because it is a whole new WCW.
12: And where are they? Where are they? Where is
2: Diamond Dallas Page? Where is Sting?
5: Where are they? I think they're hiding in the back with the old tail between the legs.
2: What I'm seeing looks like we got us a little party. Hey, and for once, you guys look like you showed up ready for work. Can't believe what I've heard. Hey, what's up, shit? No softball game? Ooh. How about you, Lester? No golf game today? No lunch with Michael Jordan? Pete, what about those seven fans of yours down at the trailer park wanting to have an autograph for you on your new book? What about that? And Singer, what new no Hollywood premiere tonight? I'm really glad you all
8: came to work. What's the matter, Paige? Nothing to say? Fish off? I don't know what the hell you're smoking, but you better step off. Yeah.
2: Screw you, Paige. You want to know something? If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here tonight. You'd be slepping drinks at some rundown redneck bar in the middle of Florida. Telling the world that you're friends with Bon Jovi. You know, where were you for the last six months? Well, I've been sitting home unemployed. How about you, Singh? Who's the guy that rebuilt your career? I'll tell you who it is. The same guy that made Lex Luger a multi-millionaire. When the WWF didn't want to have anything else to do with it. That's who it is. Wow. Everything he's saying is true. Everything! And what about you, Sid? Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I've made you. I can sure as hell break you. But this time, it's gonna be a little more fun.
5: And it's going to be a little more fair. This time, it'll be a level playing field. You know what, Eric? Before we get into that level playing field, I have something that I want to say that's a little personal. Because I know he is back there hiding as well. And I got something that I want to say to Rick Flair. start a new day right now tonight. So Jeff, I'm going to ask you to hand that U.S. title over to me. That's right, Jeff. All titles will be stripped tonight. It'll be a brand new playing field. Come on, Jeff. Trust me. Trust me.
2: The Harris brothers taking off. This is unbelievable. A new beginning. We have no champions. Well, hey said there's only one more belt left, and you know who's wearing it. He's telling Sid Fishes to give up the world heavyweight title. Unbelievable. I
5: tell you what, on. you want to get this belt,
2: break your. And vicious with, look at bishop that okay And I'll spend the rest of my life knowing that you're unemployed. So here's the deal. Either lay me out, take your chances, or hand
5: over the belt. your choice, big man. What's he gonna do? What can he do?
2: Hell, I've been beat up before. It won't be the last time. to Bischoff what's go the matter Sid it. can't find your scissors wow Whoa. come on Sid Sid what's the matter Sid can't find your scissors come on Sid give the boss the belt come on man don't let me push the button Sid wouldn't want to see you pop go crazy Sid
5: Damn. wouldn't want to see you ruin your career Sid
2: he's pushing it Already, I don't know about you, too, but I like it. We have no champions. And he said, we'll see you at Spring Stampede. And this Sunday at Spring Stampede, it looks as if we're going to crown a brand new champion. Am I reading into that right? Not just a brand new champion. We're going to have to new world champion.
19: range everywhere. You know, I feel like I've just been handed a get out of jail free card because for years me and the rest of the new blood have been held down by the egomaniacs trying to hold on to their faded careers. I've been used and abused and told to keep my mouth shut. Well, tonight is my night. And the one man I want to address is the biggest egomaniac of them all, Hulk Hogan. I think I know where he's going with this, Tony. That's right, Hulk, for weeks you've been bad-mouthing me. You've been saying, you've been talking about my size, and yeah, Hulk, I may not have a body that you have, but I have two things, Hulk, that you can't take away from me and two things that you will never have, and that's heart and talent. Whoa! <laughs> and Hulk Hogan, oh my God. we all know the only way to get that grotesque orange tan that you have is to be in the spotlight for way too long. Checkmate. And you say that Billy Kidman can't draw flies. Well, maybe you're right, but who would know better about drawing flies than a pile of shit like you? I hope Hogan doesn't hear this. I hope he does. So, Hulk, that leaves only one thing that I've waited a long time to do. I'm calling your ass out. Come on, Hulk. There he is. Come on, bring the red and yellow, hero. Come on, Hulk. It's time to see if your balls are as big as your bald spot. Oh, my God. man, He didn't get the memo. Come on, Hulk. And there
2: goes Hulk. You talk about me when I'm not a rival, here I am. He's calling him out. in this ring now, come on. He's calling him out for a fight.
19: We saw this one coming months ago. Where are you Hulk, are you scared? You say I'm not a threat, but you won't come and face me in the ring. He the won- hero is scared.
2: Kidman shouldn't be headlining flea market independent shows. And Kidman had seen and heard enough. He called out the icon. It was a very sore point for Billy Kidman. He talked about the tension room area. kidman
1: who in the
8: hell do you think you are kidman kidman i've been sitting in the back and this isn't the first night i've listened to your crap i've been watching you the last couple months i've been hearing you crying when am i going to get the break when am i going to get the push well you're the kind of punk that gives the young guys in this business a bad name kidman
19: hey you got something to say is that so you had a good run hope but your run is over short and sweet how
2: long has this been building up inside billy Kidman?
8: well you know something kidman if you were in my league if you were in the same game as me you might understand what this business is all about but you're so damn p whipped in love with that girl,
2: you no did the wrong thing.
4: intentionally going out of place for a reason. I wanted you to hear that and get an idea as far as what was going down that night. Now, let's go back a few days. Mike Awesome, the ECW heavyweight champion, walks out of ECW with the title. And ECW is paranoid that Mike Awesome is going to show up on Nitro with the ECW heavyweight title and throw it in the trash. You know, when Medusa did it in 1995, WWF was really not focusing on women's wrestling anymore. So it was a tremendous insult. Yes, it fucking really was a huge slap in the face to Vince and WWF and their fans. And yeah, it really stepped up the Monday Night Wars and the women's division was really on hiatus for an extended period of time because of what went down. Thank God everything is all forgiven and done. But at this time, ECW starting to have some big-time financial problems, a lot of wrestlers leaving for greener pastures, and now the ECW heavyweight champion walks out, and he's got the title. So some lawyers get involved, and now they realize he is signing with WCW. And, you know, there was some money negotiated, a few things here. And the one thing that WCW promised ECW is that Mike Awesome, if he showed up in that comp- company, would not have the ECW title on camera. That was one of the agreements. Now, very quickly, in Mike Awesome's own words, here is the reason why he left ECW. For WCW, and as you will hear it, you may not blame them.
20: Probably the the thing that people remember the most of ECW is, is after you had won the title. Yeah, you uh, you left to go to WCW, right? And, and I'm guessing, based upon our conversation, you're saying you left because you didn't have a contract. You felt you know have- right? No, I did not have a contract, and and you still have their world belt.
21: Uh, at that time, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I had their belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I was driving to the show, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? We did not get paid last week. We're not getting paid this week. What's going on? Why Why do they keep missing our paydays? They just kept, you know, we get paid sporadically. And just kept missing paydays and missing paydays. And I was like thinking, what did I do? I left my job in Japan for this? I just bought the house that I'm doing this interview in right now. I started thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not even going to be able to make my mortgage payments. So, uh, I was talking to Horace, actually, on the telephone, and he said, Mike, he goes, what are you doing? He goes, I can't believe you're doing that. He goes, I got Hulk Hogan right next to me. Boom, he hands the phone to Hogan. Hogan gets on the phone with me. Brother, what are you doing? You can't be working for free. He goes, just turn around, and if I was you, I'd take my ass home. Basically, that's what I did. I turned around and went home, Mm -hmm. and uh, from there, started talking with Bischoff and Russoff, and Bischoff and Russo, and... You know what happened then? Got a job. Mm-hmm. Then Paul and all the legal wranglings came down on me. And if I had a contract with Paul, I would not have been able to go to WCW. So, what what, would, what was your solution? Were you did you just want to get the belt back
20: because you didn't have a contract or
21: Yeah, I could care less about the belt. I mean, the belt so the really belt, yeah. while I was there and I was even though I was the champion, it's cool to be the champion. Uh, you know that's not everything. You know, being able to provide for your family is number one, actually. Mm-hmm. So the belt meant absolutely nothing at that point because I, could, I wasn't providing properly for my family, mm-hmm. and I felt like I made a bad career move by leaving Japan.
20: And I'm sure you've heard the criticism and everybody talked about. Oh the yeah, sold
21: out. I want, I want you to tell me your side of the story. Uh, my side of the story, basically, like I told you, could not provide for my family, or well. Wasn't getting paid basically. The checks just weren't coming in the way they were supposed to. All the promises that were that were made were not coming to. I meant
20: when I'm sorry, I should have Okay. Been, your your side of the story when you went back to drop the title. To the oh. Desk. Okay. Because they were they said it was reported that you sat outside the front. You do not
21: go to the locker oh, room. Yeah, I wasn't allowed in the locker room. Paul did not allow me in the locker room. I had a piece of paper that was faxed to me from Paul's attorney telling exactly what would go on. They said that they would have a hotel room, which they did not, and I didn't want their hotel room anyways. Um, They said they had the match lined out exactly how they wanted the match. They wanted me to... Be waiting outside until it was time for me to enter the ring and come in through the front door. They didn't want me in the dressing room. They didn't want any problems. They legally everything was being conducted by the lawyers at that point. So they made, both sides just wanted to make sure everything was going to go right and go smooth. So
20: did you uh, have? Did you hear anything from people in the locker room, or was or do you think this was no. not just Paul? Yeah, well, because the ironic part—I always thought that this might just be, you know, a little puzzle angles to work everybody. Right. I mean, he built it up for a week. Oh, yeah. so he, you know, he wasn't going to be in the locker room. He right. did this. You know, coincidentally, the house is packed.
21: Right, oh yeah, oh gosh It was it was great You know, Even though everything that was going on I loved it, it was great Walking through that crowd, everybody chanting You sold out, you sold out I felt good, I felt good about it I knew I didn't sell out I knew I just had to provide for my family And if they knew what was going on They'd have done the exact same thing I did mm-hmm. uh, The only thing that I am disappointed about I just wish, I really wish That he would not have had me out there With this match laid out with Taz I wish you had stuck me out there with Rhino and allowed Rhino and I to come up because I would have. I would have gave them a star, stellar performance. I would have went out there and I would have done it. I would, I would, I would have gave them a match of a lifetime if it would, could have been with somebody like Rhino. Somebody that I trust and I know that would not try to hurt me on purpose out there. I couldn't trust Taz. Uh, you know, when he hooked his uh, finisher on me, I had my hand up there. I was going to let him hook that finisher on me, he took me out. Get that. So, you know, you look at the footage, you can see my hands up there. No way. I had to protect myself all the way. So, like I said, that's what I'm disappointed in. I really wish it was a match like with um, Rhino. You know, about the only person at that time that I would have trusted from there.
4: Later on in the night, Kevin Nash comes out to cut a promo. Not happy with what he saw on TV earlier. And right after that, we see Hulk Hogan in a limousine. On the phone with his lawyers, trying to make sure they book a match between Billy Kidman and Hulk Hogan, which was pretty cool because you had a young guy versus you know one of the biggest names, if not the biggest of all time. And then we found out who was uh, the driver of the Hummer. Remember the Hummer storyline? <laughs> Let
19: me
2: see if I got this right. We got a couple of jackoffs in the back. running around deciding
8: whose careers they're going to make and whose they're going to
22: break. And to add insult to injury, these two jagobs have decided that they're
2: going to play wrestler and attack the boys. Now granted, after traveling up and down the road the last 10 years with Scott Hall, I've lost a couple of brain cells. My question is, what the hell happened to that sweet little wrestling show we were doing every Monday?
22: I mean, where the
2: hell is the dog when you need him?
16: Get a hold of yourself, Kevin.
2: You know Russo, Easy. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. I just got off the phone with Scott. And you know what?
1: Scott straight. Scott sober. And Scott's in a real bad mood.
2: So why don't we cut to the chase, boys? But you know what? The way I look at it, neither one of you two guys would be here right now was for Scott and I. Russo, you know for a fact, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, when you were in the
8: World Wrestling Federation, Saved you from being decapitated from Shawn Michaels on numerous occasions.
1: Wow. Oh, boy. You ever
8: thought you hear
2: that on this program? Never. And you, Easy. if it wasn't for the Outsiders, there'd have been no NWO, and you know what? You'd still be bringing Bernd Gagne's coffee up in Minnesota. Ouch. We're shooting here. You guys want us out?
8: You want me out? Hey buddy, you two guys, it's real simple. But if you're gonna come down here, bring your bat, bring your chair, most importantly, bring your balls.
2: Oh boy. Message heard and received, I guess. Wait, Wait hang on. Holy. That's, that is Mike Awesome. He's the, he's the heavyweight champion of ECW. The so last time we saw him, he had that building. What's he doing here? Doesn't he have some kind of title defense? He's got a lot of nudges walking on this program. Mike Awesome, the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, just wiped out Kevin Nash. I heard Bishop and Russo were back in the saddle here at WCW. I knew this was just too sweet of an opportunity to pass up. And breaks the crutch over Kevin. What else can happen on this show? got What else? Michael
8: Austin? I don't care how much damn money it costs. Just get my damn attorney on it. As far as I'm concerned, that
1: Kidman, that little piece of... He's history, and as far as Bischoff goes, I'm going to eat his ass alive. Get it done, damn it. I want it done by the time I get home, all right? Get it done, you understand? Get that damn camera
2: out of here. Hogan in his limousine, and Hogan... What? The white hover! The white hover is back, and it crashed in the... Hogan's in that limousine! Good night to white hover! Oh my God! I should have known. With a white Hummer, Hogan, find your way out of that. With Billy Kidman, Eric Bischoff was driving the hover! It, we should have known that all along. Oh my God! What?
4: So now you had some feuds with new blood versus the good old boys, which was pretty cool. And now you also had Mike Awesome, who was the ECW champion at the time, on Nitro. A lot of controversy. So now, you know, what do you do about that? And you all know that they did work out that Mike Awesome would show up at an ECW event that happened this week in history as well and drop the title. He did not want to drop it to Taz, as you heard in his own words, and uh, would have preferred someone like Rhino. But, you know, they had the match. It happened this week in history as well. It only went about four minutes long, and I'll share with you some of the highlights from that night.
22: Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this episode of ECW on TNN with an urgent news bulletin. Last night, Thursday night, April 13th, at the Marat Center in Indianapolis, Indiana, former Extreme Championship Wrestling ECW World Heavyweight Champion, the Human Wrecking Machine Taz, shocked the entire wrestling world. Exclusive footage of the developments that took place last night at the Marat Center in Indianapolis, Indiana, involving the Human Wrecking Machine Taz, will be shown later on in this hour, exclusively on the Friday Night Thrill Zone. Taz has shocked the entire wrestling world. We will have it for you tonight on ECW. This is a live interruption of ECW
2: on TNN. Last night in Indianapolis, Mike Awesome showed up on an app just like he did monday night on nitro to beat the living crap out of kevin nash the entire locker room has been wiped out by rhino and the network but taz of all people taz is here to stand up for ecw to stand up to mike Austin. does the wwf even know about this Taz is in Indianapolis to face the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, Mike Awesome, who sold his soul to WCW. Look at that stare. Taz staring into the eyes of Mike Awesome. Awesome staring back. It was back on September 19th at Anarchy Rules when Taz heavyweight title in a three-way dance against Masato Tanaka and that man, Mike Awesome! The bell has rung! The bell has rung! This matchup, this impromptu matchup is for the ECW World Heavyweight title! Taz and Mike Awesome on the outside! Awesome it's the steel door DDT, DDT, Dreamer, DDT, Mike Awesome. There it is, the transmission, the Kata Hajime. He tapped, he tapped, he tapped. Mike Awesome tapped, Mike Awesome tapped. Yes, we have a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. It's Taz! leaving. He's headed out the back door the same way he came in. We've got a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. And it's Taz. What the hell
1: is going on here tonight?
4: Funny thing is, over the years, you see people constantly bringing up this same question. Why did they have Taz come back from the WWF To beat Mike Awesome for the belt Why not have Tommy Dreamer Or somebody in the company themselves And the answer is so easy And so much common sense It just surprises me how many people Still ask it to this day Because it's not just the fact That it's history That a WWF contracted wrestler Faced a WCW contracted wrestler For the ECW title in an ECW ring Yes, you... Don't see that. But the point is, you had a WWF contracted wrestler defeat a WCW contracted wrestler who just made his debut in WCW. That was WWF and ECW's way of trying to slap back the face of WCW for doing what they did. Plain and simple. It's not brain surgery. It's exactly what happened. And it is a pleasant memory. Now, unfortunately, Taz not only would not keep the belt all that long, but next week, we'll share a match that aired on TV. And a lot of people at the time did not like it. Did not like the outcome of this match. We'll get into it next week. And next week, we'll get into the Spring Stampede pay-per-view. Because remember, all the champions were stripped. So they were going to crown all new champions. And it did go down in Spring Stampede. Just want you to digest this a little bit, and we'll get into that next week. So now we go to 2001. And quite honestly, one of the most brutal beatdowns that you ever saw made by men towards women, I think in WWF history, it is something that is never brought up anymore, but to me, it really brought the Hardys, especially Jeff Hardy, to the next level. At that time, you may not have felt it, but you realize, looking back on it, that this helped bring up the Hardys. I think WWF realized in one that they had to start building up bigger stars, and yes, WCW was out of business, and yes, you had the uh, some WCW talent in the company now. But still, you wanted to start building new stars and bigger stars from your own company. So some really wild shit went down this week in the WWF in 2001. I want to just first set up what happened on Raw. We had a six-person intergender match. It was the Hardys and Lita versus Triple H, Steve Austin and Stephanie McMahon. Now, Steve Austin had just turned heel. Very recently, he beat the fuck out of Jim Ross, bloodied him up. You know, a lot of people feel that his heel turn at this time was a huge mistake, but Steve Austin was killing it as a heel at this time. Listen to the crowd. The crowd fucking hated Austin. You know, it just, some people turn heel and you don't get much of a reaction or they'll just you know, chant other things, trying to... He was getting massive heel heat. And what went down on Raw, if you think the audio and the beatdown and the chair shots to Lita sounds horrible, it looks even worse if you watch it. But here's what went down. Here's the closing moments of that match and what transpired following.
2: Jeff Hardy has been isolated, and Austin driving oh, his knee right into the heart of the seventh competitor. from oh, Cameron North Carolina these wrist and Austin standing with Jeff Hardy's hair.
18: Well, not that Austin knows how much that
22: hurts, but to me, it looks like it hurts.
0: they right to the head, and that
2: hurts. Austin now manhandling it. They battered and injured Jeff Hardy, makes another tie to the game. the game. The cerebral assassin. Austin and Triple A together. This makes me sick. Oh, Jeff Hardy out of desperation scores with the Usoguri! And there's a tag. Here comes Austin again. Uh, what a snap in Austin's head. I don't know. The reverse kneel kick, taking out Austin, Jeff Hardy.
0: They've got to make a tag here. can make a tag this way
5: seemingly is over. to make the tag. Well, they put up a good fight. I'll give them that. And there is a the tag.
2: Matt Hardy got the tag. The double close line from the top. The Intercom, champion down. And now the WWF champion. Austin reverses. And uses Matt's own momentum to take him over the top. And Austin's out there with the now. Steve Austin.
4: now we head into SmackDown and crowd is just fucking hating Austin and Triple H to a, a whole different level. Hardy's leader off TV selling this just tremendous beatdown on Raw. So the promo went on way too long. So I'm not going to share Triple H's part of the promo exchange, but I'm going to share with you right now, Steve Austin's. And basically, they came out to brag of what went down. Steve Austin just killing it, in my opinion, as a heel. And then a uh, little confrontation happens. Last two weeks, complete
8: mayhem. The same old, mealy mouth question. Why? 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 Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Rolled into Wrestlemania And I took that steel chair And I laid into the rock With everything I had I said I laid into the rock With everything I had I did what I did to the rock Why? Because I wanted to Why? Because there wasn't one single soul Back there that could stop Stone Cold Steve Austin. So then we roll into Oklahoma City. Good old Jim Ross's hometown. And he wants to bring me out in this very ring and say, why Stone Cold, why? And I'm sick of that. And he's made a living. He's made a damn good living riding my coattails, sitting in his family at that death saying, Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Wham! I laid that fat out in this very range and I started beating his head in and that blood started running out of his head just like that Red River in Oklahoma and it looked so good to Stone Cold Steve Austin and why did I do that? I did that because I could let me say that one time slowly I did that because I could and there wasn't nobody around that could stop me you got the little Hardy Boys tragedy bad deal wrong place at the wrong time them Hardy Boys rolled out here and they couldn't help it Vince McMahon knows better. You don't put no dumb ass broad against the ring and stone cold Steve Austin. Eh-that's eh, something you just don't do. So when I laid into that little Matt Hardy with that chair, beat his little carcass limp because I wanted to, and then I took a little stroll, walked around the ring, and what did I see? His stupid ass girlfriend dumb enough to crawl her little carcass on top of Matt Hardy and say, hey, if I lay here, maybe Stone Cold won't beat the living hell out of Matt Hardy. eh eh." (laughs) honey, that's where you done figured wrong. And I'll tell you what, Lita, when you laid your little carcass on top of Matt Hardy's little carcass, and I looked at you and I looked at Triple H and I looked back down on you, and you thought I was going to have some mercy. And I laid into your little carcass with everything that I had. And you know what? You know what, leader. That's the single best feeling I've had running through my system in a long, long time. And if you did it again, Stone Cold Steve Austin would do the same damn thing. Why? 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 because there ain't a single back there that can stop stone cold steve austin there ain't a single man back there that can stop triple h bottom line if you don't understand what i'm saying there ain't one back there that can stop stone cold steve austin and triple h and i sit here and look at these jackasses in this crowd You. it could have been you it could have been this fat ball right here. It could have been you. It could have been you. It could have beat this little buck toothed son of a d- right there. It could have been you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. It could have been you.
1: It could have been you.
2: Jeff Hardy realized what he just did. I can't believe what you see, Cold Stone Cold. Triple H are living. Stephanie, she may be out cold. Oh, the crystal of They're in a rage. Austin in a game is in a flat-out rage. What is Jeff Hardy thinking? Jeff Hardy ambushed Triple
4: H. It's Stone Cold. So we find out later tonight, we're going to have a match. Triple H, who is the Intercontinental Champion, is going to face Jeff Hardy in the main event, and when you go back and you look at this whole storyline and the beatdowns and everything, you realize that Lita did get her her revenge, Matt Hardy got his revenge, and Jeff Hardy would also get his revenge. Not only one night, but it started on SmackDown.
17: way to the ring from Greenwich, Connecticut, weighing in at 260 pounds. He is the
2: World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion. Triple H. I'd love to ask for going from Jeff Hardy's right now, but I'm doing that thing after face. Here we go now. Triple H's wasted a little time, Taz. Intercontinental Championship is Stephanie is not out here at ringside, and Triple H is irate that Jeff Hardy laid his hands on Triple H's wife earlier tonight. And see, this is what Jeff Hardy's got to afford. He's not doing a good job of it. He, he can't capitalize on the speed advantage he has on the game, but now the game, that heavy hit-up is taking it right to Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's outsized, out experience, and besides that, Jeff Hardy's a tag team specialist. And Triple H's the cerebral assassin has slowed the game down, and he's now going to begin the of Jeff Hardy in this right. intercontinental matchup. Now remember, Triple H part of this vicious coalition with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin here. left here, I rate, a little bit ago with his wife Deborah. He accused Jr. of making a pass at Deborah. How ridiculous was that? Well, I don't know. J.R. was not room alone. You never know. I mean, that was a very attractive woman. But I mean, look at Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie looking winning. on as her husband begins this dissection of Jeff Hardy. Oh, but Jeff Hardy now! That's what, he That's what Jeff needs to do. Pick up the pace. See, there you go. The scenario, his game just slows it down. No, oh, no! The pedigree. And, oh, what a great counter by Jeff Hardy. Look at him! Well, with Jeff Hardy, could Jeff Hardy get to Stephanie over that trip? Here's Come the Could have a new intercom. Champion, and no. Not enough to keep the game oh. down after two. What Jeff Hardy did to Stephanie with that used oh. to face earlier tonight, I mean, it was quite reprehensible if you think about it. Oh. Reprehensible? What about Austin's oh. attack Ooh, the and look at Ties, tossing Jeff Hardy off again Triple H with the strength and size advantage in this matchup doubt. Jeff Hardy has to try to use his speed the power advantage of the game I mean, ain't no doubt Jeff Hardy's got great cardiovascular capability look at this, whisper in the wind Jeff Hardy, desperation maneuver on Triple H and he goes for the cover, could have a new champion oh, off a count of three the game a little bit, but he might have caught him a little bit in the head because Triple H looks a little bit uh, out of it a little bit right now. Oh, look at this, she Jeff Hardy. Oh, guess to the, not. Party under the bottom rope, And you know, Taz, Jeff Hardy has to capitalize on every little advantage. He may not get a second chance against Triple H. He, he won't get no second chances, Cole. He's in there with the game. I mean, come on. He's in there with the best in the biz, man. He's in there with an upset Triple H, two after Jeff Hardy delivered the twist of fate to Stephanie. Oh, Oh, wow. Stephanie, she wants the game to take Jeff out after that first offense. Stephanie looked a bit concerned moments ago and took a race, picked into the barricade, and Jeff Hardy, the high flyer, off the apron. Oh my and slammed to the mat below. Slammed, slammed. He was get driven full. Uh, not in a ring on a mat, a very thin mat I might add. I night footlong. That's not that right thick. Not thick at all. It's concrete and under there. It's check it's check this out. Beautiful slam. Oh. Jeff Hardy was on the offensive, and you can see how quickly Triple H turned it into his offensive game. Oh, yes. And Jeff Hardy went into those steel This is for the Intercontinental Championship and it's for revenge for Triple H for his wife Stephanie, but revenge on the mind of Jeff Hardy as well. After that vicious assault on Matt Hardy and Matt's girlfriend Lita on Raw Monday Night. And now Jeff trying to battle back with guns and determination against Triple Jeff, you got a hand to him. He's all hot, Cole. He's still fighting. Jeff Hardy just beat Nairs Triple H with a knee to the face. And here's the cover by the intercut. No, wait a minute. Didn't oh, go for get the, on, the cover. Two, go, go. What if he puts punishment go. on Jeff Hardy? Two, he wants a punish him. Go. He wants to dish out pain. That's what the rattlesnake and the game do best. Dish out pain. I personally agree with that. I think he should have hooked him and pinned him because he had him. The game had him beat. And Stone Cold. And look at the impact here, Taz. Jeff Hardy. Knee to the face. All knee with one face. And what did Triple H say earlier tonight about himself and Austin? He calls Stone Cold that damn cold. He calls himself that damn good and he calls this force that damn unstoppable and they may very well be unstoppable well with Mr. McMahon behind them and the commissioner in their back pocket they got it all covered and they got the billion dollar pitches watching their back to boot and Triple H with a right hand Jeff Hardy and Jeff now
13: beginning he's to so he's good.
2: Good. It's just heavy shots just picking his spot this is the beginning got, of the year let me ask you Taz being a tech like Jeff Hardy, and now having on, a partner home. to tag you in and out, of. Big out. You as talking trash, him out. He knows he's got him beat. How different is it for Jeff Hardy being in there against a guy like Triple H when he doesn't have a
13: partner to tag in and out?
17: It's it's extremely different. I mean, hes just as you can see, the Torian's taking
2: on Jeff. Look at him; he's shot. He's worn down. I mean, he's washed up right now. He's hurting, and it's all over but the shouting. And once he's his pedigree, it's over. Did you see the velocity and the impact? Triple H surveying this crowd. who has been all over the game since he stepped into the ring in this matchup. You can hear them chanting Hardy's name, man. They're all behind Jeff, and they all hate the game's guts. And the game loves it. He's feeding off their hatred. You know, Triple, Triple H was tagged as cerebral assassin by Jr. And Al Capo is the cerebral assassin. He's just
17: hooking in a sleeper. I mean, he's just just choking the life out of him. He not even need to do this. He's wearing him down. He's punishing him.
2: Have you ever seen a technician in the ring like Triple H, a man who uses his smarts, his brain, so well to dissect an opponent? And look at Jeff Hardy with the Intercontinental title on the line. Jeff is trying to battle back with all he's got. I mean, Jeff, Jeff is nothing but guts. He's, he's, he's going for a beautiful sit-out chin breaker. Nice. Well, the game had grounded the high flyer, but Jeff Hardy with the desperation maneuver. And can Jeff Hardy somehow get back into this matchup? I do know, he's pretty worn down, Cole. Jeff has been battered and beaten here for the past couple of years minutes the intercontinental title on the line for that Russian side, leg, sweep, leg sweep were, yep and Jeff Hardy pops up out of it and Jeff trying trying desperately to build some sort of momentum got, Jeff Hardy going for the top rope a high-risk maneuver got to hit this Cole has got to hit a home run here he needs to hit it oh, the oh, oh, triple edge As JR would say, the Cerebral Assassin strikes again. What's oh, Tim White Well, it may have been unethical, task, but it was extremely effective. And now, Robert the Triple H. I mean, I know Tim White respects his job, but he about his ass <laughs> Triple H shoving the referee down. The game had enough of that, and Jeff Hardy is in all kinds of trouble up there. you are lying. Jeff, look at Jeff, he's just, just hanging there like he's worn out. Well, he's helpless, he's defenseless against the game. Wait a minute, hey. it's Matt Hardy. the hell is Matt doing here? For yeah. 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 the right. I yeah. thought Matt was home injuries. Jeff What is he yeah. 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 doing Hardy, what's the leg? Wait a minute. No can't believe it! I can't believe it! We're the first ever Champion! Champion! Jeff Hardy! It's the upset of the decade! Jeff Hardy is the
12: Intercontinental Champion! He may be the Intercontinental Champion tonight, but Jeff Hardy's career is over.
4: Now, as you will hear, we're going long already. And we're still at 2001. So a lot of what we're going to get into now, you know, is really mostly results. And we got another important moment to share a little bit later. But let's go to 2002 World Wrestling All-Stars in Australia has their eruption event match results. AJ Styles over Nova in a semifinal match in a tournament for the vacant WWA Cruiserweight title. Jerry Lynn over Chuck E. Chaos in a semifinal match. For the same title tayo over a puppet the psycho dwarf in a midget hardcore match brian christopher and ernest cat miller over buff bagwell and stevie Wright. angry alan funk over pierre oulette aj styles over jerry lynn to win the international cruiserweight title the vacated title sabu over Demon storm in a steel cage match madeja over queen bee in an evening gown match that sucked And in the main event, Scott Steiner over Nathan Jones to win the World Wrestling All-Stars World Heavyweight title. Special Enforcer Sid Vicious. 2003, cool moment on Raw, horrible moment on Raw. The cool moment first, and I've played this in in the past, the infamous debate that Scott Steiner and Chris Nowinski had about foreign policy. You know, Scott Steiner... You know, kind of like playing like pro-conservative Love America and Nowinski playing more like a millennial. You could go check it out. But one of the dumbest segments we've ever seen, especially towards Goldberg, especially, we had the vignette backstage in the locker room where Goldust was talking to Goldberg and Goldust decides to put the Goldust wig on Goldberg's head. It was just a split-second moment But it was so fucking dumb to try to make comedy with Goldberg. And it did not go well. To this day, people are like, the fuck were you thinking? Just putting a wig on somebody's head. And it caused that much damage. 2005, John Cena. Now remember, John Cena already introduced us to the United States Sprinter Belt. Well, now he was the WWF Champion. WWE Champion. And it was this week in 05 that he debuted the WWE Spinner Belt. 2007, TNA had their Lockdown pay-per-view from uh, St. Charles, Missouri. Chris Sabin over Alex Shelley, Jay Lethal, Sharkboy, and Sunjay Dutt in an elimination match to retain the X Division title. Robert Roode over Peter Williams, Gail Kim over Jackie Moore, Senshi over Austin Starr, Bob Backlund special guest referee. James Storm over Chris Harris in a blindfold match. Christopher Daniels over Jerry Lynn. Team 3D over the LAX in an electrified steel cage match. Team Angle, Jeff Jarrett, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, Rhino, and Sting over Team Christian Cage. Team Cage, AJ Styles, Christian, Scott Steiner, Abyss, and Tomko in a lethal lockdown match. Harley Race was a special enforcer, and since Sting scored the winning fall, he earned a title shot, uh, a heavyweight title shot, at the Sacrifice pay-per-view. 2008, WWE decided to ban all photographers at ringside at televised events. As you notice, we don't have cameramen anymore. 2008 as well, we heard about CBS launching a reality TV series called Secret Talent of the Stars, and basically they were going to show celebrities doing things that you never knew they could do. George Takai singing country music, Clint Black doing stand-up comedy, you know, Joe Frazier doing rhythm and blues. Well, Ric Flair was going to be on it as well, and he was going to salsa dance. Well, it never went down. We never got to see it. 2008, TNA Lockdown from Lowell, Massachusetts. Jay Lethal over Johnny Devine, Sun J. Dutt, Sharkboy, Curryman, and Consequences Creed in an escape match, x escape match, to retain the X Division title. Roxy over Angelina Love, Salinas, Rocka Khan, Velvet Sky, Tracy Brooks, Christy Hemme, and Jacqueline in a Queen of the Cage match to become number one contender for the Knockouts title. BG James over Kip James. Super Eric and Kaz over the Motor City Machine Guns, LAX, Scott Steiner and Petey Williams, the Rockin' Rave Infection, and Black Rain and Relic in a cuffed-in-a-cage match to win a future tag team title shot. Gail Kim and ODB over Awesome Kong and Raisha Saeed, Booker T and Sharmell over Robert Roode and Peyton Banks in an intergender tag match, Team Cage, Christian, Kevin Nash, Sting, Rhino and Matt Morgan over Team Tomko. Tomko, AJ Styles, Team 3D, and James Storm in a lethal lockdown match. And in the main event, Samoa Joe over Kurt Angle to win the TNA heavyweight title. 2009, another time Hulk Hogan wished he should should have kept his mouth shut in the midst of his heated divorce against his wife. He said some wild comments uh, equating what went down with his wife to OJ Simpson. Quote, I could have turned everything to a crime scene like OJ. Cutting everybody's throat. You live half a mile from the 20,000 square foot home you can't go to anymore. You're driving down through Clearwater and you see a 19-year-old punk driving, I added the word punk, driving an Escalade, your Escalade, and sleeping in your bed and banging your wife. I don't blame Hogan for being frustrated at that, but you can't go OJ. You can't, you can't, you can't. 2009, I can't believe it's this many years gone by. ESPN did one of their E60 episodes, and this one focused around Vince McMahon and the WWE. It's really good. If you want to go check it out, it is available online. Also this week in '09, Tori Wilson announced that she was retiring from wrestling because of a back injury. Also in 2009, we had the WWE Draft take place on Raw. little trivia. Who was the first person to be drafted on that draft? Well, MVP drafted from SmackDown to Raw. And wrapping up 2009, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla had their 100th event from uh, Rosada, California. It was their 100th event in their history. Pretty decent card. Young Bucks over the Cutler Brothers to retain the PWG tag titles. Roderick Strong over Scott Lost. Brian Danielson over Kenny Omega. Joey Ryan over Paul London. Austin Aries, Chuck Taylor, and the Human Tornado over B-Boy, Candice LeRae, and Scorpio Sky. Davey Richards over Tyler Black. Seth Rollins. El Generico over Sunjay Dutt. Chris Hero over Colt Cabana to retain the PWG World Championship. 2010, WWE announces that SmackDown would, in fact, be moving to sci-fi. 2011, WWE superstars, after being dropped by WGN America, was going to be moving to WWE.com. Same week, we had some really sad news. Just paint this picture. Edge, uh, world heavyweight champion, successfully winning at WrestleMania, shows up on Monday Night Raw and makes this announcement. You may
23: have to bear with me a little bit. I'm probably gonna ramble and not make much sense, but just please bear with me Uh A lot of people think that the uh that the wwe doesn't hurt Um that what we do maybe it's done with smoke and mirrors, and and I wish that were true Uh, but anybody in that locker room anybody who has ever stepped foot in here laced up a pair of boots. They know that's not the case uh Which brings me to what I'm about to tell you eight years ago. I uh, I broke my neck Um, I had spinal fusion surgery, which means they they move your throat over they put a plate in there and screws and It's it's really in-depth surgery, but because of that surgery I knew that I was uh, I was wrestling on borrowed time from that point on Uh, So fast forward and uh, the, the last last little while I've been in uh, a lot of pain. I, uh, I've been losing feeling in my arms. Um, so, I, I, I passed uh, strength tests and all of those things and I, I made it through WrestleMania, but uh, the WWE wanted me to go get more tests. And thankfully I did, um, because the MRI showed that uh, that i have to retire (laughs) i I mean trust me it's not my choice the the doctors have told me that that i got no choice uh and thankfully they found out because i'm not gonna end up in a wheelchair now (laughs) This <laughs> It's a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, so you know, oh, thank you guys. I I made
5: to show of respect for the show deserve itself) <laughs>
23: but I, I tell you it, this has been an emotional roller coaster of a week for me and i'm not gonna lie i felt sorry for myself i uh until i talked to uh to christian uh, and for those of you who don't know christian has been my best friend for 27 years uh, And you see, I I was angry, I was angry at myself, I was angry at my body, because I felt like uh, there's a lot of people in this company that depend on me, and I felt like I was letting them down, Uh, I felt like I was letting you guys down, Uh, but then, you know, I was upset too, because I didn't feel like I was ending this on my terms, but he reminded me that, that I've, I've competed my whole career on my terms. I. You know, I'm still like all of you, I am a huge fan of the WWE. Every month, Christian and I would go to Maple Leaf Gardens and we would watch all of our favorites. We would watch uh, the Legion of Doom, we'd watch Demolition, we'd watch watch Hulk Hogan, we'd watch all of them and, and just be enthralled. And then I went to Wrestlemania 6 and I watched Hulk Hogan against the Ultimate Warrior and I said, I'm doing this one day. And you know what? Fast forward a whole bunch of years and I'm main eventing Wrestlemania against The Undertaker. There's no way I ever would have dreamed of that. There's no way if you told me when I was 11 years old that I would win more championships than anyone in the history of this company. No way I would have believed you. And if you had told me that my last match would be at Wrestlemania in one of the main events defending the World Heavyweight Championship and that I'd be retiring as the World Heavyweight Champion Man, I couldn't dream of a better way to go out. I really couldn't You know, I uh, I started in the WWE when I was 23. I mean I've been doing this for 19 years 14 of them with the WWE. My first match was May 10th, 1996 in Hamilton's Cop's Coliseum. And, uh, I was 23 years old and I, I feel like I've grown up in front of all of you. I feel like, uh, I've made a whole lot of mistakes in front of you. I've learned from them and I've become a man in front of you. I've gone from being the the silent guy running around the streets of New York with a trench coat that was way too small for him to uh a pseudo vampire in the brood to one of the funny goofy guys along with Christian posing for those with the benefit of those with flash photography I became one of the most despised guys in the history of the WWE. As a matter of fact, I got thrown in the Long Island Sound. I had a a live sex celebration, thankfully, with Lita and not Vicky Guerrero. And I would hope that through it all, I've earned the respect of everyone in that locker room And I hope that I've earned all of your respect. Because no matter what... No matter what, I came out here and I tried to give you guys as much as I had every single night. And in turn, you guys gave it right back to me. So... I'm gonna miss all of this, all of it. I'm gonna miss that reaction when I hear my music and I come out on the ramp. It's like a shot of adrenaline straight to the heart from you guys and it's amazing, I can't describe it. But that being said, I don't have to wear tights tomorrow and I am gonna go eat a whole lot of ice cream tonight. But if you asked me if I would do all of this again, all the way back from getting hired by J.R. If you ask me if I'd travel all the roads, log all the miles, hop on all the flights, all the sleepless nights, all the surgeries, all of the injuries, the metal rods in my teeth, all of it. If you ask me if I'd do it again, in a heartbeat. So thank you. Thank you very much.
4: You know, as much as we criticize, you know, how Seamus is currently used in the WWE, you know, you've heard rumblings about him suffering from some spinal stenosis. Anybody that follows baseball, especially in the Northeast, David Wright retired from baseball due to spinal stenosis. That's something horrible. So thank God Edge is doing well. Shame that he can't have another match. But, and it's been that many years. 2012, This Week in History, on SmackDown, they did a a special episode where they brought back a lot of legends. This was to promote Legends House. And during that night, we had a tag match of Sheamus and Mean Gene Oakland beating Daniel Bryan and Alberto Del Rio. Same week, TNA had their lockdown event from Nashville. Team Garrett Bischoff, which was Garrett Bischoff, Austin Aries, AJ Styles, Mr. Anderson, and Rob Van Dam over Team Eric Bischoff. Christopher Daniels, Bully Ray, Eric Bischoff, Gunner, and Kazarian in a lethal lockdown match. And since Eric Bischoff's team lost, he was banished from TNA. Magnus and Samoa Joe over the Motor City Machine Guns to retain the tag titles. Devin, Devon, over Robbie E to retain the TV title. Gail Kim over Velvet Sky to retain the knockouts title. Crimson over Matt Morgan. Jeff Hardy over Kurt Angle. Eric Young and ODB over Rosita and Sarita to retain the knockouts tag titles. And the main event, Bobby Roode over James Storm to retain the world heavyweight title. 2013, um, <laughs> right after WrestleMania, the big buzz, Fandango's theme. do 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 Number 44 in the UK singles charts. We had that infamous video. The fans coming home from WrestleMania on the train in unison doing Fandango's music. And this week after Raw went off the air, John Cena cut a promo and uh, had everybody singing Fandango's music. It's been that many years, everyone. 2014, Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella get married in Arizona. Congrats to them on the anniversary. Also in 2014, TNA taped some one-night-only pay-per-views. The first one, Extravaganza 2, was to showcase current and past X-Division wrestlers. Qualifying matches from that night, Loki over Chris Sabin, Rashad Cameron over DJZ, Kenny King over Rubik's, Ace Vedder over Manic, Sanjay Dutt over Rockstar Spud, Tigray Uno over Petey Williams, and uh, you had in the finals, Loki. Now, everybody that won those matches were all going to be in an Ultimate X match later on the night. I should have mentioned that earlier. But anyway, Loki won it, defeating Rashad Cameron, Kenny King, Ace Vedder, Sanjay Dutt, and Tigre Uno. And as the result of him winning this Ultimate X match, he gets a future X Division Championship shot. Non tournament matches from that night the Wolves, over bad influence, in the Ethan Carter III Invitational Ladder match. And uh, $25,000 of Ethan Carter III's money, EC3's money, was on the line. After the Wolves won, EC3 tried to run away with the check, but the Wolves laid out EC3 and got the check. Hopefully, they did not cash it. Of course, they didn't cash it. Same night, TNA taped their one-night-only pay-per-view called the World Cup of Wrestling 2. Basically, had four teams. There would be tag matches, singles matches, knockouts matches. Uh, Single wins were worth one point. Tag wins were worth two points. The two teams with the most points later on in the night would face off in the main event of the evening. So you had Team Young, which was Eric Young, Bully Ray, Eddie Edwards, ODB, and Gunner. Team Angle, which was Kurt Angle, Davey Richards, Miss Anderson, Sonata, and Madison Ray. Team EC3, which was EC3, Jesse Godders, uh, Magnus, and Gail Kim. And Team Rude, which was Bobby Rude, James Storm, Kenny King, Sam Shaw, and Angelina Love. Matches from that night, Eddie Edwards over James Storm, The Bro-Mans over Mr. Anderson and Sonata, Gail Kim over Madison Rayne, Eric Young over Bobby Rude, Kurt Angle over Magnus, Angelina Love over ODB, EC3 over Davey Richards, Bully Ray and Gunner over Sam Shaw and Kenny King. So in the finals, it was Team Eric Young versus Team EC3, and your winner... Team Eric Young, they won 5-4 in an elimination match to win the World Cup of Wrestling. And in the finals, Eric Young over Magnus to get the deciding fall. 2015, a little bit of controversy online because John Cena used Steve Austin's stunner against Rusev in his match. As you have seen since, several wrestlers have used the stunner. Also in 2015, on SmackDown, we had Daniel Bryan and John Cena defeating Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. At the time, it was DB's last match uh, before his sudden retirement due to the issues with the concussions. Thank God he was able to return. But this week in 15, it was very, very disappointing and sad that he was going to be forced to retire. Also in 2015, Taz uh, missed... Some commentary sessions to do voiceovers for Impact Wrestling, and we would find out that he would be gone from Impact because of back pay. 2017, wrapping up this episode, we had the infamous moment on Raw where Roman Reigns was in an ambulance in the back, and Braun Strowman, I'm not finished with you, and flips the ambulance upside down. Great visual. Just too bad they didn't pre-record it and do it in a way where they could have moved that little, you know, metal that held one of the tires in place, which would make gravity easier for Braun Short. Still an impressive feat, obviously. But, you know, little things like that, I don't know. I can't I don't like it. But the spot was great. Notable birthdays this week, those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday to Paul Bearer. Angelo Paffo, Bo Montana, Argentina Roca, Stan Stasiak, Kurt Von Hess, Soldat Gorky, Huracan Ramirez, Les Thornton, Terry Garvin, Buddy Wolf, Balls Mahoney, Tony Martinelli, George Culkin, Danny Bobbitt Jr., Dr. Wagner, Alfonso Dantes, Brian Adams, Larry Winters, and Tony Cosenza. Eduardo Castillo turns 94, Harley Race 77, the Mighty Inouye, 70. Mo from Men on the Mission, 64. Jesse Barr, 60. The Dirty White Boy, 59. Nobuhiko Takata, 57. Easy Rider, 56. Aeroflash, 55. Brazito De Oro, 54. Jeff Jarrett, 52. Rico Casanova, 51. Goldust Turns, 50. Monty Brown and Anthony Kingdom James, 49. Two Dope, 48. Julio De Niro, 47. Lida and Cibernético, 44; Christian York, 42; Austin Aries, 41; Ryuzuki Taguchi and Jesse Neal turn 40; Masayuki Kono turns 39; Tony Gunn, Hade Vanson, and Steve Madison turn 37; Miyako Matsumoto turns 35; Clint Margera and Johnny Calzone. Hey, Johnny Calzone, Vinnyca, how's it going, man? Johnny Calzone, he turns at 34. 34. AJ Sanchez turns 33. Aria Davari, Juice Robinson, and Bianca Belair turn 31. And Jake McCluskey turns 29. Notable debuts this week Greg Gagna debuted in 73. Onita debuted in 74. Jesse Ventura in 75. Scott Norton in 1989. Bison Spr- Smith, Miss Your Buddy, debuted in 98. And Bull Dempsey, debuted in 2006. And finally, notable deaths this week. Those who passed away this week in history. Ernie Dussek and Dick Angelo died at 85. Dick Griffin at 84. Gene Konitzki at 81. Don Duffy at age 80. Matoko Baba, the wife of Giant Baba, and Maurice Robert died at 78. Bill Savage at 77. Wee Willie Davis at 74. Marty Jane Mull at 71, The Great Goliath at 69. Joe Lewis, Larry Sharp, and Wilma Gordon died at age 66. Gus Ed at 59, George McKay at 58. Furpo Zabisco, 55. Betty Clark at age 54. Balls Mahoney at 44. Chip Fairway at 38. By the way, I love that name. Dynamite D at 37. Larry Sweeney at 30. And Mike Von Erich died at age 25. And with that, I bid you farewell for this week in history. Follow me on Twitter, at Don Tony D, the website, dontony.com. Email me, dontony at dontony.com, facebook.com slash Show. Make sure you sign up for our Discord channel. Interactive, friends, family, myself, all the other show hosts, soup. It's interactive 24-7. And it's always 24-7 because we got a lot of listeners that live overseas. Shout out to all of you, I might add. And finally, as always, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Don Tony. As little as $5. You get so much exclusive content there. And at the same time, you'll help us pay the bills for everything that we do. You'll help us support the shows financially, keep the shows on, uh, keep a lot of shows free for everyone. So please give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone be well. I will be back in one week with Season 2, Episode 16 of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Be well. Ciao
18: Whether you're discussing the latest moves in the tech sector or just your dating life, Spreaker gives you tools to make your podcast a hit and professional insights about who is listening and where. And as your podcast dream grows, Spreaker only becomes more useful, letting you upload and schedule multiple episodes at the same time, push to multiple platforms, and customize RSS feeds. But what about making money? With Spreaker, monetization is as easy as checking a few boxes. So next time someone says to you, we should start a podcast, say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started.